0: and welcome back to another episode of the discussion phase of board gaming podcast where we take a break from playing the games we love to talk about the games we love i'm your host john and today i am joined by matthew brady and jacob tell people what's up hey we're here and we're alive and we are so excited to be bringing a board game breakdown today of our favorite game the favorite game of the discussion phase which is root so stick around and as always buckle up
1: Alright, so this is one this one's been a long time coming. Oh yeah. And after some scheduling and rescheduling and rescheduling issues, we finally got the four of us in a room together. In a room? hmm Not what, playing a board game. In what actually. room, Brady? In John's new dining room yes sir that's, that's right, right. Dining dining room, yes. dining room, living, carpeted, room, living
2: room carpeted fantastic acoustics for oh, recording a podcast i'm excited yeah, we, yeah.
1: you haven't
3: been on the podcast since you've been since married. Okay, married we've
0: mentioned it but let us let us know how married life is treating you. it's great it's just really fun to have you know a your best friend always around and uh able to talk to and share things with it's it's exciting it's a good and, time
1: and beat you up in uh okay Unmatched. okay okay yes she did how she much? did.
0: i recently played on match and she whooped me how much extra time do you have these days, John? I think I have just about the same amount of extra time. I don't know if I agree with that. I've, I've got
2: a lot of no's anytime. Well, time. A lot of that is due to
0: moving, so it's not necessarily uh, anything else. But, uh, you know, I have my priorities now. So.
2: We, we have
3: said on multiple occasions. Does anyone feel like we're missing John more than we used to? <laughs> yeah. Well, I wasn't <laughs> missing miss him yesterday oh, because for
1: like three, maybe four hours, oh, yeah. John and I got to geek over some plastic ships and some pew pew sounds while we played x-wing yeah star wars lo-fi was there um and it was fantastic john we played so in the x-wing world it's been kind of thrown into chaos a little bit but there's new scenarios now so it's not just like kill all of the other person's ships so we kind of got to explore that a little bit um and uh yeah
0: it was a lot of fun but, uh,
3: well, Brady, I'm glad you found someone to enjoy X-wing with you. Not just enjoy, yeah, love. the, the love. one
0: whom your soul loves.
3: <laughs> I enjoy Star Wars. Which Jacob does too. We all do, but I've just not just taken the leap into the oh, world of X-wing. And I have. Yeah. I've been
0: going on a major Star Wars kick. Uh, if any of our listeners have ever played Star Wars Legion, I might need you to intervene to uh, to stop me from getting yeah. into that. So if you have, let us know. Maybe check out the Discord. I will say, John. Send me a message,
1: John. It was, it was April 1st recently, and John sent me this like <laughs> leaked video of the future of X-Wing um, from a guy named Kravik on YouTube. And I did not realize what day it was, and I watched the entire video. And they were talking about how they're going to be Spruce. introducing all of this stuff like they're gonna instead of like having pre-painted pre-assembled ships they're gonna be moving them to sprues and all this stuff <laughs> he was and mad. i was at work and my blood was just boiling over this <laughs> i was like how can mind. they do this to this game
2: but april fools yeah. and
3: john i think you recently mentioned your philosophy is if you spend more money on x-wing you'll get better right exactly, exactly. that's you'll the same with more. disc golf
0: and who who won the first game we played, I won, and then Brady the, crossed the, the second Flair one. Drip, but, yeah, right? Ric Flair, yeah, Flair, yeah, that was the, Ric the Flair drip, Flair the last name. Speaking Woo! <laughs> of, it, <laughs> we apologize for that.
2: Ric Flair in the house, We're baby. Gonna,
3: <laughs> all right. Well, while Ric Flair has a party in the corner, <laughs> um, I, Jake, uh, not Jacob, but David posted in our uh, group message. Apparently, Leader Games who. Is the publisher and stuff oh, yeah. with Root. Uh, they did like their whole big revamping and new kind of direction. They're going to be taking Root and their other tiles and stuff. And they were talking about how Root is going to be getting a Talisman and type edition. Isn't that
0: not one of our favorite games?
3: It is. I think it is officially my lowest rated game of all time. Brady, Talisman. do you remember the
0: little corner boards in Talisman? They're going to be adding those to Root. And one of them was all forests and no clearings. So the Vagabond's going to love it.
1: Wait, this was an it's April Fool's? Yes, there, it right? was. Okay.
0: Yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, <laughs> we all know Brady's not great at checking his calendar now, you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, so we also got in a recent play of all four of us of Blood Rage, oh, which so just is becoming like such a comfort zone game for me, and that it just it just gets everything out of the way for, and everybody knows it so intimately. We got in
0: a game in like an hour, maybe. Yeah, it, it was, was fast. fast. Mm-hmm. It, goes it was after b- our return to Gloomhaven.
1: Yes. Which, yeah, Jacob, tell us how you're feeling about Gloomhaven because... He's Gloomhaven. Gloom,
2: I am Gloomhaven. <laughs> Gloomhaven. After about 35 scenarios of Gloomhaven, I have seen the same thing over and over and over again. But and you go into you go into a dungeon. You go into a dungeon. You fight There's some monsters. monsters. You leave the dungeon. And this game... Is the number one game of all time? It's same thing every game. I. Uh, it's the gameplay. It's the gameplay. I think you. Maybe I'm just not. A, <laughs> I. I think you.
3: You
0: had a really rough path. We both your on a with, class that we classes. didn't enjoy, which yeah, I think is a huge. My class
2: was
1: horrible. Well, I'm glad you're feeling because I have more or less been feeling this way for like the entire time. Yeah. <laughs> that we've been playing it just about there. I think there was a spree where I was enjoying it a little bit, but it, I. I enjoy playing with you all but they really to me like there's no there's very
2: little tension
1: in it I'm like I can just do whatever and we're going to win
2: this like mm-hmm. yeah part of it is I've literally had turns I've I've been playing the circles class so I won't give away spoilers yeah, no spoiler. the circles class and uh, my little <laughs> circles person my turn it usually is I have a plan and I usually go later in initiative order, but Matthew always has like, he has like a three initiative card with his character, which is like four. scoundrel, which is like a base character. That's not a spoiler. Um, and he's leveled up his scoundrel to level nine and maxed out and has like a bajillion items. Yeah. He, can't even, he can't even fit all his items on the table. He's holding half of them in his lap at this point. <laughs> and, um, so he will just, you know, clean through, he'll mow down these hordes. And then my turn literally becomes, I'm going to move four. Yeah. One two One, three, three, four. three four, and so, then
1: and then my I, turn's done, and my turn, and it has become so boring. My turn is I'm just gonna go grab all the coins yeah. of the people that Matthew so, just killed. And, so, and John, <laughs> so
0: in response to that, we we graduated some characters after our last, including game, the scoundrel. including the scoundrel. So we're Beyond hoping that... Works. Eon Flux is, uh, you know, forever going to live in our memory. But um, I I enjoyed the game. I think the gameplay is good. I got stuck on a a more support-based class that I I didn't feel like I was having an impact either. Um, And yeah, when someone's a lot higher level than everybody else, it definitely feels like they're just doing everything and you're there to soak up some damage for them if needed. But um, I'm hoping that it will be more exciting to come back to. But if it's not, I think...
3: Everyone's balance, everyone's character levels are now reset and rebalanced. Yeah, I
1: was the only one who ended up keeping my character yeah
3: so yeah so and, uh, and we can always adjust the difficulty too um because yeah i mean i had been playing the scoundrel through like 27 plus scenarios at that point but the thing is like her like character retirement condition we had just never met because yeah. certain scenarios didn't happen um so i just leveled her out after nine but i mean to me i guess i do understand that to me i loved my first starting character class yeah. and stuff but like I would, would not want to play the music note one that you yeah. did necessarily just cuz it's been just through, not to fit your
1: style. Uh, I
2: think I was you're like, on your first. third, right?
0: Yeah. Or you're maybe your fourth. No, you're on your third.
2: You were the uh the mind thief, which is a yeah. base base ben one. Then, yeah. and then oh,
0: oh edit it out <laughs> edit it out. Sorry. what was <laughs> I forget the
2: Lightning symbol bolts. for that. Lightning,
0: bolts. Lightning yeah, bolts. Then
2: did you go to Spears? Three Spears after that? Yeah, Three Spears. So three Spears is really good. And
3: three His Spears paint job on the Three Spears is amazing. Is nice. I think one thing we're realizing, too, is that it's it, there's no sense of playing 15-plus scenarios with the faction you're not, a class you're not enjoying. Yeah. Because it doesn't, I mean, as technically there are little story points that add to it when a character retires and everything mm-hmm. like that, but it doesn't actually change the concept or makeup of the game. So we've like, if you're not enjoying the class, there's no point in playing it. You can choose a different one that we've already played. Mm-hmm. It looks interesting. Like the one I'm picking up is the lightning bolts class that Brady had because it looks really cool. It speaks to me. And so yeah. that's the, like, we, I think we all enjoy the card mechanics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's that secondary level of mechanics that is unique to each class that mm-hmm. you can kind of find to fit each and- character. Brady loves going and picking up coins so any character with loot abilities
0: or move a bit, multiple move abilities, yeah. yeah. And I think it's a game that we're, you know, rule of cooling a lot, a lot of house rules, making sure that it's an yeah. enjoyable experience. It's a, a co-op game like that. That's not necessarily like a brain puzzle in the sense that maybe Spirit Island is like, isn't necessarily helped if we're all, you know, pushing up our glasses and rule checking each yeah. other. It's more fun. Yeah. When well,
1: actually, we're
0: able to, you know, enjoy it. Um, said Matthew
1: and, will call out line of sight to you every single every time. time. <laughs> but, um,
0: you know, if we go tomorrow and play it and, and aren't enjoying it, then I wouldn't be offended to, yeah. you know, pack but it I up, do wait think, for Frosthaven. And, I do think Frosthaven does
3: address some of the things we have is like, where's the sense of meaning? Where's like the greater story or yeah. the
0: greater why we're, biggest, what we're doing yeah, the Thanks. biggest thing that appeals to me is the like the outside of the actual mission. Right now it's just, you know, a city event, but we actually are going to be like gathering resources, build like Building there's, the there's more of a game outside of just the scenario we're going and doing and there's more of a lasting impact other than unlock this scenario, unlock that scenario. So, I'm hoping there's a little bit more meaningful progression for the party cuz right now what you said, you know, it's all interchangeable. We could do this scenario or that one and it's really not changing all that much. Yeah. Um so I'm hopeful that some of the additional stuff will we'll add to that but it might be 2024 by the time we get Frosthaven haven well, in
3: i mean it's supposed to be this year with it but it does add a lot more supposed like in base be. game gloomhaven they have like the secretive kind of coding and yeah. like escape room type in a box stuff but in frost haven there's a lot more of that mystery and intrigue sure that yeah. wants you to that makes you want to pay up closer attention to things speaking
1: yeah. of getting stuff in i got in numiji it's sitting Ooh, right here on the table i box. ordered this and like twenty nineteen or 2020? It's a unique
2: box. So did size. you kickstart that? I did, yes. Okay, this is a kickstart. And is this the is this the game in its entirety? Yeah. Well, yeah. I that's think there's, so sim- Simpler Times 2019. Oh, kickstart. What did you just kickstart this? That. It's one box. I can't quite remember. I could probably look it, it up. It kind of looks like an Apple laptop could fit in that yeah, box. Was it
3: yeah. before or after you kickstarted O
1: I can't quite remember. I'll I'll look it up. This is definitely a much simpler game. Yeah. Also,
3: speaking of uh, things that have been in the in the working here, I finally found my copy of Rad Lance. A I know Woo! there's been a... Uh, did Brady have it? Still here. I, can did we get Brady did not have it? Can I we get know. a recorded apology? Brady, I apologize yes. yeah, for my reasonable it? suspicion.
0: <laughs> it was buried under some other board games. Uh, yeah, but I finally soccer. found it. And also, a recent plays won't go in
3: too deep, but I am now five for five in my plays of Art Nova. I've almost pulled up Jordan. Gone six for six. Hey, there you go. All
1: right, so Namiji was in 2019. Wow, it's wow. been
2: three years. Three years. Wow, since no wonder you just literally carrying it on your arm wherever you go. It's like <laughs> a precious card to you. I know. That's great. I've been waiting on it. Uh, Matthew, um, have you ever seen the old uh, children's show iCarly? Oh, what a I know
3: children's of its existence. Show. I don't think I've ever watched it. You never watched it.
2: Well, Carly has an older brother. What's his name? Spencer. Spencer. What's his signature line?
0: Uh, Something about spaghetti tacos Did I don't remember
2: Whoop-dee-doo For freaking you That's <laughs> what I feel about Your Argnova Nova victories.
0: <laughs> the hate,
1: no, the Matthew, the hate uh, us Matthew Matthew <laughs> ha, Has played what Five games of Argnova Nova And has won every single one That's yeah. why I like
0: it so much Yeah I
1: just want to see some It doesn't even I have try to be me. I want to see someone else win Because I Like I just I don't
0: know. I could have probably won our first game, the two, the 1v1 game, but I made some mistakes. But you know, that's the way it oh, goes. Oh, I forgot
3: about that. How many times have you played, Jacob? Just once. Okay, then it has been five.
2: Yeah, just once. once. Yeah. Anyways, we I got was... on this whole track because we were talking about the game that we played after Gloomhaven, which was much more fun Thank and you, memorable Jacob. than Gloomhaven, and that is
1: Blood, Blood Rage. Rage. So we went from like no tension to the most tension I feel playing a board game ever. Which is like when you got, when I am dealt that first round of cards, oh, yeah. you're like my, my heart is it just, just starts is beating out of my chest. Here. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I'm like, ugh. So. It was a great game. Brady, that, that was a dub for you. And yep. I mean, it, it was a good dub. You, and you, I played you an honest us. strategy. You manhandled us. Honest strategy. Played an honest strategy. You tried to win. You did win, so you took you took a uh, a rising sun victory like last week too. Mm-hmm. So you're like on an Eric Lang. Little, so now we need to play. You gotta uh-huh. get onk back in and see if yeah, Brady sees the... it the way he sees the other two games, because you're just you taking, taking, taking butter. The rising sun
1: dub came out of nowhere. I honestly was probably the least expecting person. To win i i did you not were just quietly winning win. all those regions you were winning handful of i wasn't paying attention those to, those to how much you end. were winning the blood rage i feel like there was a decent amount of score discre- discrepancy at the end but i felt it was like it was really
2: close like anybody yeah. could have won did you won that. win um you twice? twice mm-hmm. you pillaged twice and won twice yeah so and so no that. one
1: really matthew had a big goof um and try to challenge my Idrisil dominance. It was embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. um, but the bit. moral of the story is in that if you're going into the third round expecting to win battles, buddy, you better have that cancel card at the end that like neutralizes other shenanigans. Because uh-huh. if you don't, it, you're just throwing darts blindfolded. Yeah. Yeah. So. Absolutely.
2: Um, yeah, that was a great win. That's I had one, one. one comment. Oh, yeah, the one comment that you made, which... You, you two, Matthew and Brady, I'm looking at you, the our beloved hosts of the discussion <laughs> phase more than anyone else. Whenever you win a game, this drives me nuts. You say, "I wish that I had done this differently," or "I wish the game did this differently, so I could have scored more points." So Brady comes out and has the audacity after beating us, I think like with I think it was like 25 30 points. It was a big ahead one. of the, next, mm-hmm. uh, the second place. And Brady said, I wish you could get more points off the clan oh, stats. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, Brady, that is absolutely absurd. 60 points you can that's get from raising your clan that's stats. And in addition yeah. to them, building your engine and helping you win more points throughout the game. And he just says, I wish the track could go <laughs> further because further, I maxed it out too early. And I'm like, oh, man. you are ridiculous.
1: Well, but you can max. And, and that's yeah. not... I wasn't like, I wish I scored more points. But... Yeah, I don't know. It would I mean, over-incentivize
3: just direct, just straight winning a reach but like maybe, yeah. scoring? And it's not
1: even that it gives you more points. Like, maybe it's still the end um, gives you the same amount of points, but maybe it's just, like, dispersed differently on the track. Because it wish, goes, like, 10, 10, 20. You so just it's wish like it you could, could move five, your marker
3: further. Just for yeah, the, like right. the the tactile rewarding sensation.
1: Yeah, because I I, a sharpie up, out. I got yeah. I won so twice, and I had a
0: lot of quests. Right, so that's part of the strategy. That kind of stuff, though, is yeah, you, you kind of have to plan it so that on the last turn, like I wasted one of my quests in waste, maybe not, um, but like you do want to try to plan it so that you are moving them all at the very end, and you don't necessarily waste a pillage or an Etrusil bump or whatever. But if it happens, it's not the end of the world you're still scoring points for quest right you're still scoring points for battle and interstill things like that if your tracks are already maxed out yeah as you're winning those, it's kind of like a win more mechanic which i feel like you don't really like anyways which is interesting that you would want more because i feel like it's it's balanced in the sense that you know what the cap is and if you get there it doesn't guarantee that you win but it's pretty strong but if you had a strategy where you were just trying to funnel in you know clan stat raises you know what here's what we need
1: we need another track not the tracks to go further we need an expansion with another track. But you don't
0: need to interact with it if you don't want to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's your of favorite course. mechanic. <laughs> yeah. um, but hey, listen,
1: I, was, I was really proud of Matthew because there was a card that he passed to me that probably allowed me to win the game. And I was just really proud of you at the end of that game that you did not intentionally take that card to make me lose.
0: Yeah. So, well, it was you're nice welcome. Then. Well, we've talked about Blood Rage, which is the board game uh, ranked number two in the discussion phase list. We talked about Gloomhaven, which is the world the board gaming world's rank number, number 1 but today i think we're here to talk about the number one discussion phase game of all times which is root, root. That's and that's right. by a
2: wide margin right a uh, game of woodland might and right or a woodland game of might and right i don't know where woodland goes but it's a great subtitle. I, absolutely a, lo- I love that subtitle. It's a Game of Woodland
3: Might and Right. Yeah, Fantastic. Um, so this is going to be another one of our board game breakdowns. Uh, we've done this previously for Blood, uh, Rage. Blood Rage. And so we're, this isn't going to be a how-to-play episode. Obviously, having some uh, context is going to make it a little bit more understandable and easier to digest. But our kind of goal is kind of talking about the game as a whole. We're each going to be taking a specific faction Doing kind of a general kind of breakdown of what do these factions do, how do they integrate into the uh, game itself, what are some different themings, how some different strategy, more than just how to go through the rules and play. Um, And so just kind of we're going to before we do that, I just kind of want to go through the main things about Root that make it so appealing is one is the asymmetry of the game. And so all of these factions have a lot of things that they do uniquely uh, that is completely separate from just mechanically how other factions work. But the things that uh, are the same for a lot of people is the board, the cards, and the dice. So before we kind of get into the factions, I kind of want to talk about and look at those the central game Mm -hmm. uh, board, because there's, we're just talking about the four base factions. Uh, There's four more in expansions and then we are just waiting for the shipment two for two more uh to come in from the underworld is it no it? the marauder the marauder expansion yes, the under underworld or What's under- the last one? was the last one uh so ruba root, context root came out in 2018 it was designed by cole Worley. um when we talked before about some of our most influential and top board game designers uh mr is at the top of it and has some of the most unique standout at least for the time artwork in uh, Kyle Farron's art. Now, obviously, Kyle Farron has been doing a ton of more projects with Leader Games and other um, publishers as well. I know, Brady, you're constantly uh, harping on how much you just want something different with yeah, his well, art style. I just
1: don't think, I think this artwork, just to be clear, is absolutely perfect for Root. But yeah. now they have just signed like a blood pact with him to like forever do use his artwork in their games for the rest of eternity. And I just don't think it. I just don't think it looks good with everything. They just recently did the. I don't know what game it is, but it's like a sci-fi theme. It's in I development. Just, I'm not as big of a fan of that
0: look. The 4X game. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely a unique style of art. I think it. It absolutely works with the root, and I think it is very disarming for the game as well, especially for new players. We can get into that later. Disarming. But, it could um, be deceptive. Deceptive. One, one might disarming. say deceptive. Yeah, yeah, but it's just cute, man. And yeah. those little. Screen-printed meeples, imagine, you know, you wouldn't need to touch them to make them look better at all. Yeah, no
1: stickers, no nothing
3: needed.
0: Nope. So the main (laughs) premise
3: of Root is you all, everyone is taking over a faction, and you're trying to decide the fate of the forest and have your faction rise above to be the leader of all the other factions. Um, The way the game is played is that whoever is the first to 30 points uh, wins. And how you're going to be doing that is, the first thing is the board. I believe there are 12 different clearings um, on the board and what you're going to be doing. Every faction has a unique starting location spot, um, but you're going to be trying to move around the board, kind of gain control of different clearings. Um, Every faction has a unique scoring mechanic uh, that we'll talk about. But the one thing that's kind of universal to every faction is that whenever you remove not someone's units uh, from the board, but someone's buildings or their pieces from the board will score you victory points. Um, We also have... Um, a global kind of a system of cards that everyone uses both for crafting and for their factions. Um, The cards are really unique in that every, like I mentioned, every faction uses them slightly differently, but at the very basics, they can all be used uh, the same way. Mm -hmm. Um, The cards are broken down into essentially suits. Mm -hmm. There are three main suits and then a wild suit. Uh, So every faction is using those to, do different abilities and mm-hmm. triggers, but every card has a crafting ability, which are special items that you can kind of create and build based on where your presence is on the board. Uh, and then the third main way that all these factions are interacting, for the most part, is on the same, is in combat. Um, and what I love about Root is that in a game so tactical and strategic that combat isn't completely deterministic. Mm-hmm. Um Because you can, in theory, there's no limit to how many units you could have in any clearing from any faction. Um, But when you're doing combat, you are rolling eight-sided dice, I believe, yeah. zero through four. Um, And the attacker, for the most part, zero through three. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but there's four four values. How many
1: times have you played this?
3: Over 30 times. Four? Yeah, But you're rolling these dice. So the dice, uh, the attacker gets a slight benefit. The attacker takes the higher, higher dice and then you do hits to each other based on the numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, what I love about this game is that so often we'll say, well, I lost this game we were playing because I just weren't rolling the dice well, or we were flipping over stuff, it just didn't come out right. I've never felt like even though there is dice rolling and it just slightly mitigates um, how deterministic it is. I don't feel like everyone, anyone has ever said, I lost a game of Root because I just just rolled roll. yeah, yeah. bad dice. I
1: do like a simple, you know, we were talking about um, the the Rising Sun and Blood Rage. I like the simple combat in it, like it's just dice yeah. rolling, and I love the mechanism of like the attacker gets the the benefit. Hi- the benefit the higher roll, but the defender, you know, that doesn't mean like the defender is completely ousted or whatever. Yeah. So yeah,
3: and there are also uh, what's called ambush cards in the game. Uh, there's one for every clearing uh, suit, so you know there's orange, yellow, red, and then there are I believe two wild ones. Essentially, as a defender, if someone is attacking you, you can play down this ambush card that essentially removes two of their units. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the, how it works is you can only do damage to your opponent. Let's say I rolled a three for mine. I can only do three hits if I at least have three of my units. And so if you remove units, then they're not able to do as many hits too. Um, and so it's a great kind of attention of, like I said, it's not completely deterministic. Yeah. You always have to have that in the back of your mind. So you're not like, I'm just going to go in with just a couple units and and do what I want to or attack different buildings to get victory points. Uh, I have to kind of plan for all those different things. Yeah. And I think that's a, a, what we're going to be talking about is that Brady, you will call Root a lifestyle game, which I want you to kind of talk about a little bit before. I think it's I would kind of define it as a kind of a living, breathing ecosystem. Um, because every game we played has been completely and uniquely different. Um, because the game has a very straightforward premise and boundaries, but everything that happens in, inside of that during the game is what we decide to make it up. Uh, because there are no balancing that the game does by itself, there's no like limiters. We, as the players, balance this woodland ecosystem everything from placement and control of the board, everything to combat uh evaluating who's ahead and victory points and and influencing those because a big thing in this game is each faction has what they call reach uh which essentially how quickly or easily you are able to influence other parts of the Mm -hmm. board and i know i've mentioned in other games that one thing that gets frustrating is like we can look at it's like well there's nothing no matter what any of us do or how hard we try there's nothing that anyone can do to stop that one player in root if we decide to work collectively we can rebalance the game board, which I think is something really unique, but it adds that kind of like diplomacy dynamic mm-hmm. into it. So what are your all thoughts, kind of share too about, you know, just the board state, these card mechanics, and also kind of the combat.
1: Yeah. So do you, so you would not necessarily consider it a lifestyle game. So you two, do you consider Root a lifestyle game? And if you need some help, you know, with my definition of that, or you, or anybody, it, define it either way for the listeners. So, I think when I think of a lifestyle game, I think of a game that requires a higher higher level of investment um, than other games. So, like an a, investment could mental be mental investment. Yeah, so it could be mental investment, or it could be financial investment. So, like <laughs> X Wing, I <laughs> would consider. We have a lot
2: of lifestyle games, if that's the case. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, no, 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 like so X Wing. Is a lifestyle game. It it requires. I mean, we. I put in a crazy amount of money into X Wing, um, but it also takes. Like you know, before John and I even start the game, we've spent you know fifteen to thirty minutes, you know, building our side of the faction or whatever. So it just takes that extra little bit of, you know, outside of the the game, you are thinking about it and you are.
0: So um, planning and strategizing because yeah, 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 John's
3: yeah. always talking about putting together build lists yep. and stuff, which I don't yeah. think you have to do that in root because when I think of lifestyle, I think of something like Magic the Gathering because that's all yep. about that's pre-building definitely. your decks mm-hmm. and all this stuff outside of it. When we sit down for root, it's never like, well, have you been building this or thinking about that? We don't, we don't interact with the game outside of actually sitting down and play it. Yeah. So that's where
0: I think it doesn't necessarily say it's a lifestyle game. And I'll say, based on that definition, um, I guess I'll say the biggest thing is, is the, the personalization, personalization, something like that. That's a word. That's a word. Um, making it your own, I'll say is something that I think is a key component of lifestyle games. So say like Warhammer magic, other things like that. Um, but there's nothing I can do. Like the Marquis de Cat is going to be the same Marquis de Cat every time I play it. It's not like I can change how there's no like modular setup, et cetera. So there um, is slightly in the new, in, in the advanced setups, yeah. but um, I, I'm, I'm getting to my point. Um, I think living might be a, a better way to describe it because I might play a faction different than Matthew plays them. We're still using the same framework, but they can be played differently, but I don't think it's the same level of investment in terms of personalizing and, um, you know, creating something that's your own to necessarily call it a, a lifestyle game. I think there are people that only have root and only play root and, you know, it's their favorite game. They can play it every week and not get tired of it. I think that's, that's a fair point and would be, you know, a point on your side of people who really only have one game. That's pretty common to see in the magic, the gatherings or the X wings, right. They only have one game and they're, you know, just jazzed about playing it all the time. But, yeah. um, I think it, it maybe is a little bit in the middle.
2: I think i would take a similar point of view um i have a um i am not drawn towards lifestyle games because of the way that they can because of the well the inve- in- investment is a very kind yeah. word because investment would imply that you get a higher return and i don't think that will be true for any of your x-wing sets gentlemen oh, um, disagree disagree Our return on fun <laughs> i just bought new lot, so they were I return on fun.
0: yeah um jacob you have a pretty harsh tell, outlook when it comes to brady you. when i <laughs> K turned behind him and then yeah. auto blasted crit his TIE fighter in one oh, shot. It yeah. was pretty oh great. Gosh. And that, that $20 was well spent. That's a lot. Because Jacob, you talk about this even
3: with like DLC content right, for video right. games and microtransaction. You very predatory practices. But yes. sorry, c- continue yes. your point.
2: I'm not a fan of games that just keep dragging you along by introducing new content or sure. revamping all their content. 2.0, 3.0. Yeah, just, to, just to do it. And I'm sure there's good reasoning. I don't know the the X-wing culture all that much. Um, So I and I think just for a lot of points and not to repeat anything you just said, um, John, but it doesn't feel that it doesn't root does not give you the same kind of vibe as a. As a Magic the Gathering, even as like the Lord of the Rings Living Card Game type idea, um, Mm -hmm. or or uh, X Wing, Um, I'm curious because I know Brady. To your point, like there are entire you know content creation channels devoted to Root, as there are to like a Ti4, because Ti4 doesn't feel like um, a lifestyle game, a lifestyle game either. But I think some people would define it as that. Um, So. So it may just be working within a different So Yeah, so the reason
1: reason why I would consider it a lifestyle game and really the same with TI4 is it goes back to that investment. And the investment with Root isn't financial and it's not necessarily... um,
0: Customization. Customization or like,
1: yeah, preparation or mental. It is a community investment. And so since, unless you were playing Root solo, which if you don't have people to play root with, I am sorry. Like, I'll play with is, you online. Send it, it is this. With the not. They do I have, just, but the, their solo the mode is pretty highly touted though. The mechanical. But, um, so the reason why I would consider this a lifestyle game is because you can't play this unless you have a community who is just as committed as you are to playing this. Like you cannot just casually whip sure. this out at any game night or whatever. I could not, like even though it's not a super heavy game. Like I couldn't just play this with family or something. Sure. Sure. And so I think that community investment where you have to look at three other people, four other people and say, Hey, are you willing to learn all of these rules? Not just one faction, but like eight factions. Like that is a huge amount of like mental space up in your head. That's like, um, yeah, like taking up space and time over the years. And, um, and so, I think because of that, I would describe it as a lifestyle game because you just can't, you cannot play Root. And I would say, if you don't have that kind of community, Root is not worth the investment. Sure. Because
3: you've had experiences where you've taken Root and you've obviously having that knowledge and a lot of places on your belt, and you've introduced it to other friends um, who I guess you would ca- list as being more casual gamers, yep. right? And then that, that. And I have set it up. Because I had, I had played a,
1: maybe a couple factions at that point. Mm-hmm. I set it up, and we got ready to play. This has happened like two, or maybe three times. And then I realized, oh, I can't do this. Like, I cannot <laughs> explain that faction to that person. And yeah. I can't answer the question. And so we set the whole thing up and then had to pack it up after I realized, yeah, this is not going to happen. Mm. Yeah, because
3: with three, you don't have to, to... For you to individually be able to play, you don't have to know all the other factions. But like I mentioned before, the beauty of this game is, is how it, the balancing systems yeah. work, everything from placement, but also to knowing how your other factions work, just because someone may be five points ahead of you, doesn't mean that they're actually five points ahead of you because of how their scoring system yeah. works. And likewise, if someone's five points behind you, they actually may be on a, based on their positioning in a much better trajectory. Yeah, yeah. To, to leaf frog. And so it, not having that knowledge, I can see lead to, leading people to have bad experiences with the game and they may feel like it's wonky or factions are overpowered Mm -hmm. or broken, but it's all about knowing and evaluating. It's a game that
0: rewards your investment for sure. Right. I mean you can play this game like you can sit down and have your faction board, have it explained to you and play it without necessarily needing to fully understand at the same level every other, every other faction at the table, but you'd be doing yourself a disservice if you didn't at least attempt to learn them for subsequent plays if it was something you're interested in. You can't just, Pick one faction and say, I'm only going to play these, not worry about anybody else, what they're doing, or learn anybody else. Um, you're going to be doing yourself a disservice. Yeah. And because you... it's so important because the game's balance is pretty much in being able to assess threat and do things about it, right? Otherwise, If nobody cared what everybody else was doing, the factions that can, you know, get off to a hot start and steamroll are going to win every game if people aren't looking up and saying, oh, well, we need to stop him this turn. Otherwise, he'll reach, you know, the tipping point. And that's a
3: beautiful, beautiful part, too, because you don't want to make yourself a target as well. Because I know it's not fun. And I know, I know sometimes we get Brady a hard time. It's like none of us like being ganged up on, like, even even Jacob, who loves causing mischief. Like, if all of us are just turning (laughs) our attention, like, it is not the most enjoyable experience. And so, especially
1: as the, We'll get into this later, but especially Jacob's favorite faction is the Vagabond. And yeah. so if you get ganged up as a Vagabond, your turn is I'm going into you the woods it. and yeah. licking my, licking yeah. my wings so or make, whatever.
3: So knowing how to make yourself not appear to be a threat. Yep. It's all about like like the the saying, carry a big stick, but not actually have to use it. Kind of like inside mm-hmm. the little bit too. Um, and to me, that's kind of the beautiful name. When I call it a living game, like we come to the game and we create the artwork. Yep. We create the masterpiece. I know that's very... Fluff. yeah very over the th- top th- th- but
2: that's a really good um jumping off point because i think one of the questions we want to ask is like why and maybe i think if we each take a minute or two like why for you is this so highly rated that it would mm-hmm. make its way onto our collective number one as a group it's our collective number one By a so wide for margin. you why why is that so i, I can answer that that first And it goes just along with what you were just saying. Um, For me, for many, for more more than any other game I've played, not only have I grown with it, our our group has grown around Mm it. Um, And so I think that it's a game. It has that living feel in which every play uh, has a new story. There's a new narrative. There's something. There's some story to be told. Um, afterwards, and I think, um, and part of this is probably worth discussing too. Like, why did, why did for us, at least, Oath not work the way that Root mm-hmm. does? I think that Oath became a little too self aware, um, whereas yeah. it happened organically with, yeah. with Root. That's um, a good point. But um, I am drawn to one that just story and narrative arc, along with just the world itself. I don't know, there's something about like jumping into this world yeah. that does feel. Um, immersive in a way, maybe that in, you know, to Brady's point, uh, lifestyle games can feel like they take a little bit more of your just mental space sure. or even emotional space. We have a very fond of a, a fond affinity for this game, right? Yeah. Um, so, so there's something that despite it's um, it's high asymmetry mm-hmm. and that barrier to entry, there's something that makes it approachable. And I think part of what you're just saying is it, you know, for us now, now we know, we all know the game pretty well, but when I first started playing with you guys, Matthew, you know, Matthew and Steven, you guys had a great handle on the rules and the indi- individual factions. So that a lot of the Steven rules. Steven has
1: the entire rulebook yeah,
2: photographically could, engraved in his
3: mind.
1: It's, yeah. a, it's crazy. Well, So many
2: of those games, I had no idea what other factions how they yeah. were really working, but I was learning mine and I was having fun trying new ones. Yeah. And it, so then it grew to yeah. this, this you know, level the game. And speaking of
3: that, this is definitely a game that you need to be taught by someone who knows it versus learning it yourself or spending time on the online app. Because I still remember yeah. that very first game. It was a four player game. Myself, Steven, um, and two other guys. We were sitting down at, at Steven's place. I had watched rule book. I watched the rule book kind of explanations, got familiar with it. Steven had. We had player aids printed out, and we were still sitting there scratching our heads. Like it was just such a conceptually different game. Yeah. yeah. How, way you interact with a quote unquote board game, which almost like this is almost not even board game in the traditional sense um yeah. and so it, it, knowing how to conceptually wrap your head around that yeah like to me i would never whenever i've have people have asked me about root i'd say find someone who knows it or even let me teach it to you and explain yeah. how it works because kind of similar to um with um the new um mind management yep. like the way that game kind of presents itself in the rule book is very hard conceptually to wrap your mind sure. around it yeah. but brady what it what for you because i know you know you typically like more of the middleweight Type games, I know you and I are both euro centric kind of gamers, but what is it about Root that because I know you had a love and hate relationship with Root,
1: yeah? And I will say, of the th- uh, five of us, mm-hmm. yeah, five of us, I was I think you guys it was all in the top 10. I wrestled when to as to where to put this game on my top 50 and probably more than any other game in the top 50. It took me the longest to figure out where I was going to put it. And I ended up putting it at twenty-five. Like right. In integrity the integrity of your
2: top fifty was compromised, but that's neither here here nor there. Yeah.
1: Well maybe, <laughs> but not when it comes to root. So with <laughs> that's Root, fair. that's fair. I um I genuinely feel like because of my love-hate relationship with the game, um I put it like dead in the middle of twenty-five. I feel like that was like the most fair to myself. Mm-hmm. Um but I think I am the game definitely leans further on the side of interaction than I prefer. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to follow this episode up with just the king making discussion. Um, so we'll probably touch on several of uh, points around that right now, but we'll have an overall, um, discussion on. You've got to prepare yourself. King making. Yeah. Yeah. you got to like yeah, get my 24 lawyers. hours before <laughs> yeah. yeah, hire my lawyers and everything. Yeah. Um, but I think I'm learning to enroute. route, Um, to just care less about winning and more about the story. Cause like, I think the, the game that changed everything was when, was the, the battle orders game when I was preparing to attack, um, Matthew Mm -hmm. and Jacob just sent it full on Matthew who and, and attacked his keep or whatever with the cats and when if if you don't know, whenever you attack the keep with the cats, that like kind of cripples them at that point. Um they can still come back, but it's pretty hard. And uh and that just like inspired me to no end and I was like, let's go. Like I don't even care what happens in this game anymore. <laughs> yeah we're full sending this. <laughs> um and so I think because at first um we played probably the first thirty games. And I did not win a single one of them, Mm -hmm. not a single one with five. And so it was usually Stephen winning because either Matthew or Jacob, this was actually kind of before you came along, John, um, either Matthew or Jacob would do something to like royally tick me off. (laughs) And then I would just gun gun for them (laughs) for sweet justice. Uh, And Uh, so Stephen was always just like this perfectly neutral person who never like brought on the wrath and so uh, mm-hmm. and so like I think for the first those first 30 games I was like what like am I just stupid like how can I yeah. not play how can I not win this game and it's because it is significantly more of this social game or whatever that um, than it appears yeah so yeah. for me I think blood rage strikes the better balance of interaction um, but admittedly like root tells the better story Yeah.
3: And then for me, it really comes down to, it just hits so many of the things I love about board games. Mm -hmm. Um, Because a lot of these factions do have kind of Euro kind of systems built into them. And really you can pick a faction that aligns with your mechanical taste in board games. And we'll kind of talk about that when we get into the faction breakdowns, but I love the sense of progression. I always talk about, I love Mm -hmm. in games to where if you took a snapshot, zero, 15, 30, an hour into it, you can see the progression, not only of your, um, Player ability or faction or whatever it may be, but also of the game state as well. It, the game changes and develops, and you can feel that sense of ramping up, getting too powerful, but then people may push you back down. Um, but then, like I said, it's kind of a a play, kind of a playground for uh, creativity and yeah. strategy because it, it just gives just enough boundaries to feel like it's not loosey goosey and it's not a full. It's, this is not a sandbox game. But it gives you taste of that here and there. There's nothing that keeps me from going one place on the board or another other than maybe if I have the control to be yeah. able to move in there. But like, if you want to play poorly, you can. If you want to play at a high level, you can. If you want to play something completely different, you can. So it gives you a lot of that uh, ability to constantly come up with new strategies and adapt. I yeah. love having to adapt to new changes in the game and also gives us that meta, like table talk. I yeah. always say the game is played up here in your mind, yes, John. Yes, And so I, I love that. It, as a as a player who loves how can I get I better. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> and so, like, in one of my favorite Grey Western Trail, it's always like, how can I think about getting better? Or even when you love chess, yeah. or you all love X-Wing, whatever it may be, like, part of it is you enjoy growing as a player. Some games yeah. you play, and it's like, okay, we're playing the game, we have the experience, but, like, I'm not growing. I'm not developing my skill. Yep. And so it just gives us foundational kind of mechanical groundwork to enjoy and dig into but then as individual players it gives us freedom
0: yeah and I think that that leads into kind of my favorite parts of the game right at its foundation root is just a solid board game which really helps right there are a lot of games that we want to love because of the art or because of the theme or because of the interaction but there's usually like something that's going to stick out about like oh I don't really like how that worked and you may have some qualms with you know the king making side of root or other things but i think at its foundation it's a very solid game that is well balanced And it's balanced through the interactions at the table, which might be like my favorite part about it, right? Any faction at the start of the game can win. It's not like we joke about Catan, you set the game up and then, you know, Brady's like, why don't we just call who's going to win after the setup and then go (laughs) home, right? Root, you can set up the game and there's not a clear winner, even, you know, maybe halfway into the game. Um, And I think that's a huge part of of why I like it, because there is always a sense of tension and usually you have the capacity or ability to come back. And then also what Matthew mentioned, I think it's a game that grows, um, you know, with you, As much as you're going to invest in it, the more you're going to get back from it, right? It invests, you know, it it rewards players who invest into learning the factions, into learning other factions in different interactions, things like that. Um, I don't think there's a set, you know, strategy for any single faction that's just what you do every time. So it doesn't get boring, right? We talked about Gloomhaven and how sometimes the repetitive nature of certain classes gets boring but i could play you know the cats a bunch or the the corvid conspiracy a bunch and try something new every game and be still about as effective but feel like i'm experiencing something different so um, those are just some of the reasons why it's it's number 1 on my list.
2: Yeah, so number 1 that you I mean how many plays did you did it take for you full sent? And uh, when I say full sent, I mean you full sent.
0: I think game. I played it like 3 or 4 times and then I bought my own copy and then once I had my own copy all I, the content I had to get I got all the expansions and then I got these nice, you know, wood burnt boxes that have like the Inscriptions and stuff for all the the pieces, and then I got the 3D printed upgrades. <laughs> These just and gorgeous. And then, the the, yeah. then I got the, the tattoos. Then I got the and coming. we have talked about getting root tattoos of our favorite faction. And I am so in for this. Get so David, if neck. you're out there, we'll right we'll yeah. talk about this. And we're I'm gonna, gonna tr- get under my get left right ear. My yeah, and we're
3: gonna try to get David in. Um, for we're gonna part probably two. do a part two for the expansion faction because David uh is is loves this game just as much, and he now uh, okay. when we first got into it. You
1: yes. you have a copy, Matthew. You have a copy, Jacob. You have a copy. David has David a copy. David has a copy. So I am the only one who doesn't have a copy. Which makes
0: yet. sense, Mister Twenty Five. Yep.
1: Yeah. Um, but but I just want to make sure that Way back it there. can sound There's a little only bit... room in, uh, enough in the budget for one lifestyle game. <laughs> I, I would say yeah. um
0: we did talk about. I meant to mention this earlier about like learning root and the bear that can be. If anyone's like interested in the game and doesn't have it. Um, the digital edition is fantastic fantastic. and there's always people playing online as well. You can play against AI, which honestly I wouldn't think is that bad of a way to learn. Um, and the reason why I think it's a more sustainable way to teach yourself the game is because it doesn't allow you to break the rules. So like movement can be, a confusing thing to understand, you know, moving from or to a clearing that you rule or how the suits work in the game, since it's coded, right? You can't make a mistake in the game or or break the rules. I think that is a really good environment to learn it. And it's less of an investment as well. And you Um, can find people online to play. Like one
3: rule that we missed for probably a first dozen games, just because of small little details is like when you craft a card, there is a a token uh, represented, whether it's a sword or a boot or a bag or some coins you can only craft that card and get victory points from crafting the card if one of those tokens are still available to to take. take. And we were just crafting relentlessly. But I will say, like, it can sound like we're talking about root through uh, rose-tinted glasses a little bit. Like, we have had some very, very highs and we've had some very, very lows like, kind of walk away and cool off for, for a hot <laughs> second um, because it, it can
0: elicit that kind of emotional response because oh, it just shows a, investment into the game, yeah. right? You, if you didn't care about winning or losing or didn't care about how the game turned out, we yeah. wouldn't have those. So
3: our responses. opinions and and perspective is coming from all of us have had those very frustrating moments. We've all had those exhilarating highs well, I from I will the game. Say,
1: so I will say, I will clarify, we played 30 games and I in person didn't win one. I downloaded the app. Won the first game of play. Yes, sir. Against two. Against... It wasn't against AIs. It was against normal oh. players who oh, okay. did not yes, have sir. a personal bias against me. And, and the
2: greatest teacher. Yep.
3: Yeah. Uh, yeah, so um, and I think Brady mentioned, too, we'll talk a little bit about king making with it because I know that has been some people's kind of complaints with the game. But let's kind of start going into breakdown for the factions. Um, and in the base game of, of Root, these factions have kind of a hierarchy for setup. Mm. Um, a through f or what a g or h whatever is now with the expansions um but you look at that number and then you get to set up first um and the new content that's going to be coming the marauders expansion it's going to um i'm so excited bring in some more kind of what they call tournament style play setup which will allow for more because there are are recommended ways to set up this game so you don't get backed into a corner especially some factions are very very sensitive to a starting placement but some in the new content you're going to have a little bit more freedom going to feel some pain with that. Um, So we're going to kind of go in that order, the factions. We're just going to talk about an overview of how the faction is a little different from the base Mm -hmm. rules that we've kind of mentioned. How I think all these factions are very thematic to their creatures. Uh, So you can talk a little bit about that, what you like about it, some some overarching strategies of how you think the the factions are effective. And then what we'll do is everyone else will kind of chime in afterwards and talk about how do other factions balance that. And then Mm -hmm. what are... uh experiences when playing with those factions and so i believe do the cats the cats are first cats are first john so who do we have
0: so we have the first faction of the root breakdown is the Marquis de cat and i'm going to read this little flavor text because i think it's a fun way to introduce the faction and it says, you have now conquered the forest, Now or you have conquered the forest, you must now build a kingdom worthy of your name. So um, as that kind of alludes to, um, the cats start the game with more presence on the board uh, in comparison to any other faction. So they start with a warrior in every territory except for one, which is where in, say, the base game, the Erie would set up or the other large Reach faction. So Matthew touched on Reach little bit earlier there's a point value system that gets kind of complicated but effectively um, the cats are in most games because they provide um, a lot of resources out on the board a lot of warriors out on the board and they can affect a lot of different areas so um, cats are usually a pretty good introductory faction as well um, because they have a pretty streamlined and simple path to victory so um, the cats are all about like it mentions building your kingdom so you have a few different types of buildings that you're placing out on the board that are going to generate resources. You use those resources to build the buildings, and the buildings are going to either let you recruit more warriors out on the board to do combat, or they're going to let you craft cards, which, as we mentioned earlier, is another way to score victory points. So the cats are going to win by kind of maintaining and growing their infrastructure. So um, you'll see they have little kind of daisy chains of where their sawmills are and where the wood they use to place those buildings uh, need to go. So um, it's usually a pretty straightforward faction and is often recommended for newer players because of that. Um, so that's pretty much kind of a high level overview of the cats. They have a pretty simple action structure, um, where they can take, you know, up to three actions plus an additional one, um, based on different cards that they spend, which means that they're not really reliant on what cards they get dealt in their hands as much as some other factions are. Yeah.
1: I feel like they have the most linear, um, Like,
0: route to victory, victory, I guess. Can you
3: talk a little bit about the wood resource? Because it's kind of reminiscent of stuff with like Scythe and how those resources
0: work. I certainly can. So, one of the things that you're going to do at the very start of your turn, the game breaks down into three uh, main uh, kind of phases. So, you have Birdsong, Daylight, and Evening. And Birdsong is typically, um, if you ever played magic, it's kind of like your upkeep. So, you're maybe generating resources or collecting something or or something like that, maybe crafting daylight is where you're going to spend the majority of your actions. And then evening, you're going to be, you know, drawing cards, kind of finishing your turn in end phase, so to speak. But um, each sawmill, which is one of your type of buildings is going to produce one wood per sawmill. And then you can use that wood as long as it's in a connected non broken line to build buildings and your buildings are how you score victory points. It's outside of combat. Um, or crafting the only way the Marquita cat scores victory points. And it's kind of a tiered, uh, you know, your first building of a type might cost one wood, and then it's going to go up to three, three, four. Um, and then the victory points are going to go up as you're spending more wood as well. So um, like Brady said, they're a very linear path to victory. I think as opposed to other factions, they don't have maybe that explosive turn where they're going to score, you know, 10 points or 15 points, um, unless you're going to really towards the end game. But over the course of the game, They already start with a large presence and the whole goal or your game plan is going to be centered around maintaining that presence and being able to, um, you know, kind of force the other woodland creatures down into uh, submission. So. That's uh, that's the wood resource. Yeah, I think of them,
1: the cats, as the like Saruman in uh, <laughs> Isengard. Like and with the fact that they're like just chopping down the forest yeah. relentlessly. And
0: speaking of Isengard, that's a great comparison because one other unique feature about the cats is the field hospital or the keep. So Which the is field hospital is one of the most powerful ability. abilities in the game. And the keep is a building that you get a place on kind of your home territory, so it's going to be one of the corners of the board. Uh, and then the birds, say you're playing the base game, are going to set up on the opposite side. But the keep is your home turf. So one of the special rules is that no other tokens can be placed in or other players' pieces can be placed in that location. Well, so that's
1: like a commonly missed rule, or at least mm-hmm. with
0: it was with us,
1: where we're like, can we, can we not place things the, in the keep? The only you way you cannot. can get
0: there is that you your units
3: must physically Move. march into there. Yep. But you can never cause... like like with the woodland Alliance talking about, I'm going to talk about later sympathy. I can't play sympathy tokens in there. So the keep
0: not only gives you this kind of sacred location where you can hole up and, and, continue to work but they have a, an ability called the field hospital which is when you lose warriors in battle you can spend one card that matches the suit of the clearing which matthew mentioned earlier to take all of the warriors that were killed and just kind of pop them right back out to in the that field one hospital. round
3: of combat correct yeah
0: so uh you might lose three warriors but you can get them all back for one card so um that's a pretty effective way to do it if uh if i would say so myself
3: yeah and so and that's huge though because obviously getting more warriors and stuff out cost, turns, and yeah. actions.
0: So um, talking a little bit about the faction strength I already mentioned, I think their starting presence is one of the the biggest strengths they have. Um, I think their action economy is very flexible compared to some other factions. They are not very reliant on cards. So some, uh, some factions might only be able to um, build in certain locations if they had cards matching the suit, recruit in different areas if they had cards matching the suit. But the uh, the wood resource really allows the cats to be flexible because you don't need to have matching cards to put your buildings out and you also don't need to have matching cards um, to craft as long as you get your buildings and yeah, you right just place, need to so. control and by control which uh, for any faction is between your units
3: and your buildings you have more pieces yep. than another and so if you control a region and you can co- connect it with wood you can build yep.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So um, so they're a pretty strong, straightforward faction, I think, for, for new players. Definitely one I would recommend. There's not a lot of restrictions on what they can do. Their move action, they get to move two spaces with one action, which is really nice. Um, but some of their weaknesses, I think, um, is that they are pretty vulnerable. It's pretty crippling if that uh, keep gets destroyed. We mentioned that's a pretty, um, you know... The, their goal is to keep up that economy and part of that is being able to keep those pieces on the board even if they're killed. Yeah. And it is can...
1: hard to take it. So it yeah. is like it is a significant move if someone goes to take the keep. Yeah, yeah.
0: you're never gonna be like, oh I just
3: got hosed and you know my game's just yeah. ruined. For someone to take your keep, you would have to have made a series of very poor choices. Like you almost did it to yourself. Yeah.
0: And so I think the more common way that the cats are beaten or more disrupted, um, since they don't have those major point scoring turns, they really need to be scoring points every few, or they need to be scoring at least a building or two every round. So one of the um, requirements to building is that you need to be able to trace a line from where the wood is to where that building's going. So being able to interrupt those supply chains is really important if you're playing against the cats. So see where they're placing their sawmills and making sure they're not gonna be too far away from the buildings that they're going at. So that's kind of the easiest way to disrupt them. Um, And again, they're more of a maintain their, um, you know, path to victory maintain their control and, and not score a yeah, bunch of points in like slow won. and steady exactly exactly and yeah. so they can often get a lot of attention early on too because they do start with a lot of presence so you might want to be yeah. a little bit more defensive um, otherwise you're going to get beaten down and then there. a
3: trip i think we'd say the kind of the, the the kind of stopping point though is when you run out of places to actually build yep uh, because those are limited
0: exactly and that's why it's important we'll talk about the vagabond and uh, later in the episode but um, being able to remove those ruins tokens is important if you're playing the cats to make sure you have additional locations to build in because that is a inhibitor for sure but and,
3: and you're right the t- cats are a huge target because one they're everywhere they're a constant threat and i think the, because they're everywhere they can start building things really quick yeah and the thing is i feel like for a lot of the games i play the cats a lot and a lot of times i you go in with a very fast and heavy uh Early game, so you'll mm-hmm. score points really faster. The thing is, because you're a target, you're slowly. It's kind of like with the empire and a kingdom, is that you are just it's a war of attrition because everyone is attacking you from all points yep. because you're you have so many buildings out, you have more yep. buildings available to you than any other. Faction and those are victory points. It's a
0: total of fifteen across your full board if you were to try to clear that out, which you would have won the game by then. But um, yeah, definitely. And I think um, you know just to summarize the cats, they're they're relatively low barrier when it comes to rules because they have a pretty linear, straightforward path to victory. Um, They're easy to kind of maintain. Um, kind of your upkeep, what you're doing. There's not a lot of rules you have to think about. And I think my favorite thing, or I think the thing that's um, most beneficial about them is their, their flexibility. Um, They can go down a couple different paths. They can try to craft more. They can try to be more aggressive and their action economy allows you to kind of do what you want to do um, on any given turn. So um, that's the cats, at least from my perspective, but what did I miss? What do you guys like about them? Other things to point out?
1: um john do you it might not be the cats but do you have a favorite faction oh i do okay it's a, the expansion? Expansion?
0: It, It's not the cats like but it's the duchy. it is definitely the duchy. Definitely the duchy fan yeah the moles is that the moles okay the moles and i don't think they're the most powerful faction they're just fun man
2: i just okay. like them um the cats i think are a great a great beginner faction you gotta know when you play the cats that especially early on because you're everywhere a lot of you know people are wasting actions if they don't fight or don't yeah. battle, especially you think of the, the eerie dynasty, the, the birds, um, they, a lot of times have to fight. Like it's yeah. just part of their decree. And so if you're just in a place that's convenient, people are probably going to pick you off. So, you know, that like you start big with the cats, but pretty early on you start getting those, especially farther, down farther out from your keep or farther yeah. out from where you have more units. So if you just got like one warrior in a clearing or two, usually they'll get picked off and you got to be okay with that. It's yeah, and you don't want to make game. sure
3: you just don't get a clearing that just gets isolated either. Because yeah. if it is isolated, then if it has any wood, that wood can't be used anywhere right. else. Right. Um, for it. But I think the cats make it also a great faction to negotiate and work with, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you're... Because there are, there are high influence factions and there are more of the kind of subterfuge kind of behind the scenes type factions with the woodland alliance we'll talk about here later um and so some of these weaker starting factions i think it's so cool there are strong starting factions weak and then they kind of have a con um, yeah. they kind of converge at a certain yeah. point midway through game uh, but also too you gotta almost be thinking of yourself as kind of the warden of the forest um because you have so much reach and influence if some of these other smaller factions um sometimes they can't move fast enough to balance out some other factions doing some shenanigans and so as the cats you have to realize that yes i'm a target but i also have to be responsible for balancing the force as well And so sometimes that's kind of a frustrating position. It's like, well, I'm also I'm being targeted. Yeah, the people hate me. I'm, and, the, I'm the kingdom. People don't like me, but then yeah. they also expect me to help them at the same time. And
0: that's that's the interesting thing too, which is where root is just there's so many levels to it. Because while this is maybe the simplest from an action structure and um, you know the ability to understand what the faction does, your role in the game is so important when you're playing the cats to be able to check some of those maybe lower reach but more steamrolly factions that need to make sure they're not you know. Scoring a bunch of points in one turn, yeah. et cetera, and so if, if somebody's not understanding that, then there can be a larger detriment to the game, or or the birds are just going to steamroll and no one's going to stop them. So that's yeah. a great point to bring up is that they do have a huge impact and influence over the board state and how it you know the game's going to play. So out.
3: yeah, and so it may be like, hey, you're first time playing root. We'll give you this fact. Well, that actually, it, cats may be one of the more important factions to keeping things balanced because uh, yeah, Bray's going to talk I don't about.
1: Like the I don't like the phrase. Beginner faction, I think that is a little bit almost like derogatory, like oh, they're that's a. They're simple just simp- they're Whoa. straightforward, simpler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're very I straightforward. I think
0: that's, uh, that's not order to say the rules yeah. are more easily understandable. Yes. the yeah, pat yeah. like the it's more linear. I yeah. guess maybe it'd be a better word than yeah, yeah, yeah. beginner. But if you've
2: never played asymmetry, they're a good one to start. Yeah, to learn kind of Absolutely. the system of rules. Re- that's what
3: I mean. There by are some factions. Faction. I think Woodland Alliance, I would say, is probably the most complicated base one. But there's some other expansion co- uh, factions that are very abstract. Um, but yeah, and they're still important because uh, Bray will be talking about the Erie Dynasty here soon. It's like they can get ramped up very fast, very quickly. But whereas the Vagabond and the Woodland Alliance may not, like the Woodland Alliance had very few actually dudes on the map, actually troops. Vagabond is just one person. And so if the Erie get going and they get ramped up, You know we are we can only influence so much. Where that's where they talk about reach. Whereas the cats have the highest reach because like they have the best movability in the game. One move action is actually moving two clearings and two clearing movements because of how they're spread out. They can be just about anywhere at all times, and so they have a huge responsibility for balancing that. And that is where we mentioned before frustration with early plays. And like I remember first time watching shut up and sit down do the review of a route. They said we we see what's there, but like. We just didn't enjoy it or have fun because of just how the game played out and understanding how much importance that you may have in balancing something out um, for all factions, not just the, the cats is really, really important. So that's what we talk about. Like, the more you play it, the more you understand those like secondary and tertiary ways of interacting with the game. Yeah, and- and-
0: Oh, go
2: ahead. If you're gonna, I'm gonna make a overall comment. So if you have one more, cat, oh, I was just gonna give a shout out
0: to the the root subreddit on uh, if anyone uses Reddit right now, they're doing their r slash place, which is where every Reddit user gets to place a single pixel on this like ten thousand by ten thousand pixel grid, and they can place in like ten different colors. And they've been maintaining a uh, root I was looking for to try to find to get a picture a root marquita cat meeple picture on this giant reddit uh oh that's kind of so it's all it's reddit wide but it's reddit wide every five minutes you can place a single pixel on this ten thousand by ten thousand pixel grid and if you look at it it's like a paint by numbers type thing here's the you can see i have heard here's a little and i'm showing jacob no one else can see it but there's a little root right there did you place your your pixel i haven't this five minutes but i'll go clean this up so people have to like actually pay attention to make sure other people aren't uh messing everything up
2: um I don't think we mentioned, and maybe I spaced out for a minute, maybe we did, but there's
0: two ways to win a game of Root.
2: Oh, And yep. one, it's the first to 30 points, so I will uh, not uh, belabor the point on how I think that going first is always an advantage. A, it's always an advantage. In well, that's a good point, uh, though, uh, about uh, the turnover. Uh, hey, hey, we'll, we'll get, get back, back to it, and then the second way you can win is by playing a dominance Ooh. card, which experienced players will say you will never get a dominance victory. But uh, as a young buck, if you're trying for the first time, I did attempt a dominance victory my first game, and yes, it, sir. it went south. It oh. didn't work. Um, because no. essentially you can – you have you, you know, a dominance victories, you have to be at certain clearings on the map and then play the card and say – If I'm here by my next turn, I win the game. And so, you know, everybody at the table is basically like, okay, I got to stop everything so that you can lose the game. Or take you from one
1: clearing. If you're playing with John and Matthew, John says, I have to stop Brady from winning. And then Matthew Matthew proceeds to just win the whole game. That's another conversation. uh, But that was one of the most bitter games I've ever played.
2: Part of the reason the Cats, um, we're saying they're more linear, is just because they consistently build up points towards that 30. Yep. You're never going to score a ton of points in the cat. Maybe the, the four would. Of yep. Buildings, what
1: five, Some of them
0: are five, the four buildings yeah, are maybe, five, five, and four. So you're
1: really pushing it to get to ten.
2: And then maybe you're maybe you're able to do a battle action to get rid of a token or two. So you're going to score maybe six, seven points max. Um, there are factions that can score on a turn later in the game. They can't do it early, but if they build up, they can score fifteen. I've seen fifteen Plus, point yeah. turns um, in route. So that's where we're saying it's a linear kind of build up with the cats towards that thirty points. As soon as somebody hits thirty, the game ends. It's not like everybody gets to finish finish the round. But that's just one thing I wanted to make sure that everybody's understanding as we're kind of explaining these facts. Yeah, but you
3: mentioned turn order too. And I know people mentioned as well, everyone should get another round or another turn, or do you get some disadvantage because you went first versus an advantage for going fourth? My what I propose is that because of how much you are able to interact with one another, like we've never noticed like, oh well, this person went first, that's the reason they won. Because I feel like going first almost makes you a little bit more of a target, because you're maybe getting a point first and everything. It's like there's so many opportunities to interact with one another and to rebalance things on the board, or remove someone's pieces, or anything like that. That I feel like that whole in a in a Euro very numerical kind of plug and play type game where turn order can make a huge difference. Um, I don't feel I feel like Root has enough dynamics in it to where it doesn't really make a difference at all. Then, well, but, I
1: think I agree with Jacob. It you definitely have an advantage. It is just up to the other players to make sure it's not a significant advantage. Sure. But what, what kind of it?
3: And no, I'm not saying you're wrong, but like you just understand you
2: can you you just get an extra turn. Could effectively. I've seen games end because the first player is the, also the last person to take yeah. A turn. Yeah, you, you, you
3: got the an extra, extra turn. They're the only
2: player in the next round.
3: To I think that's get a turn. part of evaluating the game states. Exactly. Like, so will, you
1: got the advantage. Everyone else has to make sure that it doesn't translate. It
0: does, into, yeah, it doesn't translate. Know, tangible.
2: Yeah. But, it, it's. it's just there's part some of the other game. games like that. Um, sure, Ankh is one that, that's coming to mind that has a specific endpoint. But that's neither here nor there. We're talking factions. <laughs> but What's any next? other
0: any other comments on the cats before we? Uh, cats move are, solid. Forward? cats are solid. They're good. Cats are solid. they're, fun. they're, they're just, You get a lot of meeples, They're fun to move around. You and know. When you get those 3D
3: upgraded pieces and you have a giant castle oh. sitting there in a the corner, it looks fantastic. Yes, sir. Yeah. yeah.
1: So as we transition to the eerie, I think my final comment will be, I. Have always loved the factions with high reach and high influence. Um, we'll get into this into the king making discussion, but like I, whenever I play a game, I want to feel like I deserve to win, or I, um, like you know, I I have the influence over my own win, and I feel like you have that way more with the higher reach factions, where with some of the lower reach factions you were just not able, I feel like you're just much more dependent on everyone else around the table. You're not able to like make as many decisions for yourself.
2: It goes back and forth. I think you can make the same argument against a faction because you have more reach. You're more accessible to uh, being decimated um, yeah. or taken down. Whether, you know, whereas if you're kind of a, a unique, if you're like the vagabond, for instance, yeah, you know, you got to be in a specific place to tag the vagabond and to kind of hurts your turn so i think it goes both ways but i i totally hear what you're saying
1: yeah yeah well like so with the with the cats you start in every place on the board with the vagabond you start in one place and only and you can only ever be in one place and so yeah like i, I think i just like to be able to look at the board and be like oh i can do something over here and something all the way over mm-hmm. here. You know what I'm saying? And, yeah. and that's
0: your personal preference with different yeah, factions, yeah, yeah. which is why you yeah. play, you know, the Eerie a bunch. Um, And I think we can kind of segue into talking about them. But um, I mean, that's the great thing about this game though, too, is if you want to be the person that's like, all right, I can affect multiple areas. There are at least three factions for that. But if you want to say, I want to be more, Counterinsurgent, so little chaos in this area or that, or be really targeted at. I'm going to make this my base and then maybe slowly expand from there. Right? Yeah. You can do that too. But so. It's a
3: beautiful double sided sword because you're right, Brady. Like being the eerie, you have more control and things happening, but you also are the target for more of things being happening to Absolutely. you. Versus a smaller like the Vagabond of Woodland Alliance, it's harder for people to interact with me because I'm not as in many places, but likewise. I have to be like, hey, cats, I can't, I physically cannot go over there. It'd take me three turns, and by then, it's too late. And so that's where you have to, like, know your deficiencies, know your opponent's strength, but know when to work together to identify the bigger threat. And then part of that is the mental up above the table is, like, throwing that attention off yourself onto other people. It's like, sometimes that can be a frustrating part of the game, but it's also, like, I guess some people don't do that. Some people will just put their heads down and play, but, like, I think for the most part, even though we may not like some of it, like we enjoy that kind of table talk amongst, amongst ourselves. Absolutely.
1: Uh, Some people enjoy it more. (laughs)
3: Um, So with the
1: eerie, um, I think, um, so way back in the day when we kind of first started getting together, as kind of more or less the three of us, Matthew, Jacob, and myself, um, we would play, um, Super Smash Bros. after every board game. And Matthew was terrible at it. And he looked at me and he said, Brady, what is a character that you think I would be good for me? And I said, King K. Rule. And ever since then, he has taken off with King to K. Rule. To this Rool. day, Elite. Yeah. Elite guy. Smash. Elite Smash
0: <laughs> on multiple different people's switches. That's- yes. Yeah. So, <laughs>
1: and so when we were trying to learn Root, Matthew said, I want you guys to enjoy Root. And I am going to play a game with you, but I'm going to coach you. And you said, Brady, I think you will really like this faction called the Eerie. And boy, were you right. i so Never you, looked back. You, we, we traded there. I gave you King K. Rool, you gave me we, the
3: Eerie. We gave each other our own spirit animal. Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, and so I really like the Eerie. I probably am the only one, maybe you like playing the Vagabond, but um, where I like just identify with the Eerie. Like, I'm like, it's Eerie or nothing. And I played a I've played every faction at this point, but now that I, now that I have played every faction, um, with at least as much as we play the game, which is not often anymore these days, um, I will always will kind of want to go back to the Eerie or the Cats, um, and the reason for that is because I just like their game, um, more than everyone, more than all the other things. So I just like what they do. If we split root up into five or eight different games. I would want to play the eerie game every time. I think that's why that's just why I like it. Um, And so what that game is, is it's this engine building game that um, rides this razor thin line between, um, between doing more and having the ability to like reach out and do stuff and overextending. Um, Mm -hmm. And so what you do is you have the four main actions in the game which are recruit or build more, build more people. You have move around the board. You have battle, and then you have build, um, and you have to do them in that order. Um, but the way you do those is each round you get a, you have a hand of cards, and you can plug in two, um, one or two, do one, one or, or two cards yep. um, to that like system. So if I want to do more people then I'll plug my two cards into the recruit thing. Or if I want to be able to move more, I'll put some into move or battle or whatever. Um, And, but the thing is, is you on your turn have to do them, do every action in that order every turn. Um, And so the, the, where the fine line is, is that, if you're not able to, then you fall from grace or what is it called? Go into turmoil. turmoil. So you this is your decree. Into, you have to fill yeah, you
2: what is it? You say you I do declare. I declare. Yeah. The thing yeah. is you well, must you must add decree. at least one card. Right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. you always have to add yeah. one. Um and
1: so two. and the cards are in the different suits. And so not only do you have to do that action, but you have to do it in that uh, region or whatever, or in that forest type. So if you know you put a recruit in mouse. Then you have to recruit in a mouse region. And so if somebody comes over and takes your mouse region and you have a mouse recruit, well, you just went into turmoil because you cannot recruit in mouse. And so that is kind of like, you know, send sending making moves to send the eerie into turmoil is taking their keep or whatever. Yeah. It sets them
2: back a pretty good bit. Um, and it loot, is seen they,
0: as a move of unforgivable aggression.
2: They lose points for every bird card. So there's four suits in the yeah. game. There's uh, red fox, there's orange um, mouse, yellow bunny, and then blue bird, which are wilds. And so yeah. they, they, that specifically plays into the eerie because the eerie um, can play those blue cards and gives them a lot of flexibility f- to fill out their decree. But but yeah. when they have to go into turmoil, if they cannot honor that part of their decree or whatever the thematic language is, they lose. They get negative points for every blue card in their decree. Yeah.
1: So that's another you know fine line you have to write. Is do I want more flexibility um, so that I don't go into turmoil, or do I want to be able to do more things? Because usually you're not just like overwhelmed with bird cards usually yeah. you have other types of cards so do i want to just be able to ramp up real fast put two cards in there but be more prone to go into turmoil and so um usually about midway through the game the eerie has ramped up pretty well they 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 have a decent amount more actions than everyone else at the table so i would say their their actions are far from linear they're on a very sort of exponential curve or not quite exponential um, but their point scoring is still fairly linear because they're only, they get points by kind of like the cats, how many buildings they have out. And again, the max they can ever do is five, which is pretty tough to get to. Um, definitely so, tough to hold, too. Absolutely. That, yeah, definitely tough to hold. The thing fact, is, you, you don't
3: score those when you build them, though. You score at the end of every single one of your turns, though.
1: Yeah. Um, and in fact, if you get to five, you actually cannot hold that because that means you would have to build another one. Yeah. You cannot yeah. build another one. Yeah. Um, so you actually kind of almost want to set yourself up to have a few of your buildings hit destroyed every now and then, um, which can be tough. Um, but so the actions, your actions are are exponential. Your point scoring is still fairly linear. Towards the end of the game, it is pretty tough for the eerie to score more than 10 points. Um, if uh, 10. Um, there's one bird, or one leader that's the other aspect about the um the birds is you can have different leaders that sort of uh specialize in different things so there's one leader that allows you to get more points when you destroy buildings which can be um pretty because normally don't
3: the birds have a disdain for crafting
1: yeah so you cannot really get you can't you can't score no no no. whenever you craft you get one point which is so you end up really not crafting at all um or you craft not for the points, but for the abilities on cards. Okay, so yeah, John just handed me the uh, the leaders. And so um, at the beginning of the game, you pick a leader, and they allow you to focus in different things. So one of them allows you to do crafting a little better. One of them allows to do attacking. One of them allows to do um, recruiting and kind of have more people on the board. And the other one allows you to do... Um, Get more points when you attack buildings, so that one can be help you get a little more, but a little bit more points. And I honestly could not tell you which one of these is best. I yeah. know the ones that I like to do. I don't like crafting, so I almost never pick uh, that guy. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I couldn't like the other 3 I kind of agonize it's over which just one what I play want style
0: to, do you want yeah. to go after that game. And, and I think another thing is is with the setup, right? You don't need to choose that until you know what other factions are going to be in the game, right? So maybe you're saying, okay, if there's not going to be a lot of buildings, maybe I won't pick the removing tokens yeah. gets me an extra point, right? Yeah, so yeah. that's one bit of flexibility you get even in the startup, which is pretty cool um to that faction. Yeah.
3: So when we talk about strategy with the eerie, the thing is you only lose negative points for bird cards and the most so the most the least you'll ever lose is you always start with two birds and then based on your leader they start in a different spot and so if you fall into turmoil the the least they'll do is two depending on how you build up so there are some like common strategies that i've seen people do is they anticipate going into turmoil so what they do they do a very fast early game to where they are putting in only suit uh clearing suits of the red yellow or orange Um, Two at a time into those and what they're trying to do is recruit as many units as they can get on the board and to build as humanly as fast as they possibly can, sometimes even two a go and what they're looking they're doing is they're playing the Eerie leader charismatic so when they do a recruit action they do two instead of one so their goal is as fast as possible get as many buildings and as many units on the board before they f- go into turmoil expecting that and they're willing to take that two-point yeah. hit
1: because when you go into turmoil you don't lose anything out of the board no, at all you just lose so your points. Well, you, well, your, your
3: decree gets removed yeah um but then what they look to do is then change over to the despot leader i believe this is what they do with it um for in the desperate leader gives you extra points when you're attacking so as fast as they can they build up all the, the as many roosts they can and get as many units on the board, and then they go with the uh, desperate. I don't, know who, I don't know
1: who these bays are. Have you? Did you? I've just done this personally. Hear about this? I've read, <laughs> and I have also done. I, I saw
0: something about and, and my and next faction. And it's
1: not faction. a lifestyle game either.
3: Yeah, but then they, they essentially turn into an attack-heavy faction. And so there's different ways of like I know I've played before to where like I went I'm gonna only ever put blue cards into my decree. And then I've also done the extreme where, like, I'm only never going to do more than the two. And then there are strategies to where you can purposely try to hit that building engine as hard as possible, expect to hit turmoil, and then set yourself up for, like, the, my new leader's ability. So there's a lot of, like, cool things that you can do strategy wise. Like, turmoil isn't the end of the world. Like, yeah. I think someone someone here has had, like, a double turmoil game and still won, I think. Probably Steven. Yeah. And, like, Probably I play Steven. the Eerie and I've gone in turmoil like four times in one game. <laughs> and I don't
2: so- know who you're playing with. Yeah, um, you actually that wouldn't have been to, our group. You yeah. actually have to be
1: pretty tricky because, um, or just be on top of it because you can actually, if you're not paying attention, you can set yourself up to go into turmoil on turn one because of the way the cards like have to go. And you will just look at that and just do a facepalm and be like, okay, whoops.
3: Yeah. And so as an opponent, like looking physically, keeping an eye on the Eerie's board is important. So it's not yeah. like we're trying to be rules lawyers or anything, but like you... You how you defeat the Eerie is by like pre planning for the pre like this is programming at its finest here I think kind of similar to like battle bots what is that called Robo Robo Rally
0: yeah. programming yeah, and yeah, so yeah.
3: for to defeat the Eerie, you have to kind of pr- evaluate post like beyond their stuff he's like okay he's gonna be building twice he's got to be doing these recruits well where's his endpoint where can I step into where cause that to fall apart and so mm-hmm. that's kind of the way that as regardless of what faction you're playing is you're trying to to bring down the eerie or at least cripple them is where can i Because the thing is you don't have to do a lot you can literally just do one small little thing on the board such as like changing control if you had like the like the marquita cats if they had one more extra troop in a region to where they now they have control brady's uh can't eerie build. can't build yeah. and so literally placing one extra unit into a region can cripple his entire decree yeah so the other really the cool.
1: other interesting point about the turmoil stuff is that you go into turmoil when you can't do that thing. So if it's the last building thing, you've got your whole turn still to be able to do stuff. But if you can't recruit, which is the first thing you do in one region, then you lose your entire turn.
3: Yeah. Um, yeah. But the cool thing is like, even let's say you have three regions and you recruit, you can do those three in any order. Like you can do all your subsections in any order. Mm -hmm. I did
0: not know that. Really? I thought you had to go top down. The more you know. Wow. Um, Oh, John, you anymore. need to replay the well, Eerie. I've never really played the Eerie too much, because <laughs> yeah. someone else is always playing them in the game. Yeah, games so my
1: usual strategy is to, like, I try not to go into turmoil, and so I usually try to play a little bit of a slower-paced um, deal, try not to get too far out in the lead, but Matthew's always watching me like a hawk. If I get one point more <laughs> than anyone else, absolutely like, destroy him. Um, <laughs> but I try not to go into turmoil, and, yeah, I usually just try to... Uh, Keep so what are some then?
2: strategic things that you've learned? Cause you played them a lot. And then I, I learned some, some I played them like three, three times now. So I have a, a few strategy tips.
1: Yeah. So I, I feel like the general flow of the game is that the, the, at least of the base game, the two higher reach factions are more or less like on a collision course for each other. Um, the, but not like right away. Um, actually. So, the, the cats and the eerie will start on opposite sides of the board. And so usually turn one, it's still fairly friendly between them, but usually around turn three or four, sure. it'll start getting a little more cutthroat. And I think um, I think that it, in the first few um, turns of the game, that's where the um, cats and the eerie really try to build a foundation and take off. And where the other two factions are more slow to start, but when the eerie and cats start to get busy with each other, start fighting each other, that's when the other factions tend to shine a little bit, tend to rise sure. up a little bit.
3: Because, yeah. um, but- real quick, Brady, the big difference in why those collision points is because of places to build. The cats can build multiple buildings in the same clearing. Uh, whereas the eerie, they can I only know. have one yeah, of their yeah. roosts in a clearing. So, like, you can have a total of seven roosts, but for you to place your seventh roost, you have to have placed in over half of the regions on the board. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And by that
0: point, if you're placing that, you're probably already winning the game.
3: Yeah. And so that's where that tension between these two larger factions is like they need yeah. space to, to. And if you build. made
0: the mistake
1: of doing one of your build actions as a specific, um,
0: uh, clearing, oh my word. Then
1: you're. You could be running all the way across the board yep. to try to build a thing. Yep. So that's usually... have blue
2: builds. That was one strategy tip. Yeah, have your build blue, to be builds be wild. Blue builds is probably try... the most important. Not more than uh, one either. I I don't like to have more than one build.
1: Sometimes I degree. will do two. Like if I'm doing a, a strategy. It depends more on who like
2: you was saying you could actually just if, there, if people build, are a lot, if people yeah, are tearing yeah. them down a lot. Yeah, uh, yeah. people yeah. can yeah. recognize that quick.
3: Mm-hmm. And that's the thing is like they give you recommended like comp. Combinations, and then they the also factions. say based on your player count, also recommended reach. But as they say, if you're advanced or you feel comfortable, you can play with any combination you want. And, and so, if Brady wasn't playing against a heavy fighting faction and just the smaller ones that weren't going to be destroying his roost, he would definitely not want to be building two at a time, probably. Yeah,
0: yeah. And, and it would be uh, it would be fun once we've gone through all of the expansion factions, etc., to do kind of what we like paired with each other. Uh, although that episode might just be everyone liking the otters being in the game, but you know, <laughs> yeah, I w-
3: what i would like to do is because with these new expansion factions we're going to have there'll be enough large reach factions for a four-player game of nothing but high reach factions uh, of both the uh, the cats the eerie the fun. duchy and the um
0: which the one lord the of the two? hundreds i don't think the badgers are high reach
3: the badgers aren't is the lords of the hun- i think it's the lord of the hundreds the maybe the high reach but we'll be able to have a four-player high reach game and so that could be a completely new experience uh for root you like playing risk yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: So if the cats are Saruman, I see their eerie as like, I kind of see them as bad guys, so, sort of. So I don't see them as the Galactic Empire. I sort of see <sighs> the cats more still as that. I see these people as the First Order.
0: So... Ooh. The, um, and given your like, oh, X Wing preferences, sense. I understand why you like these two factions. Now. Yeah.
1: So I'll read their little flavor text real quick. It says, In a moment of weakness, the Marquis descended. Now you have rallied your strength and are poised to recapture your birthright. And that Ooh. to me, I just, that screams first order. Like the, you know, they've kind of seen a weak point in the rebel, in the like newly established yep. rebel uh, empire or whatever that is um and so they are looking to like strike back and take everything so
3: you know and then i'm uh, looking here, i think the woodland alliance is the only faction who doesn't have cool little flavor text. you got it on their player board um,
0: they're not a united front they're I, in the
2: woods with the eerie i've learned and I, i'm with i'm with you brady i don't like going into turmoil um even though i've seen it done well um and, and it gives you a fresh start <clears throat> but yeah. i like to not do that because it hurts my pride and i will say i agree with you i think their puzzle is so much fun so if you just if you're more of like a solitaire player and you like games where you got to kind of figure out even if you're like like euros and you kind of like yeah. figuring out the puzzle in your own head the eerie are really fun of course it's a highly interactive game but a lot of the puzzle is played with yourself um, i um, do not like placing more than one card i like to only place one card in my decree I unless I, I know yeah, I like to play uh, too um, unless I know I'm getting close to like a a turmoil turn and I'm just got to be ready so you, for it I you get like to suck to, the most out of it as the birds, you like to fly under the radar fly under the radar uh, baby come I on I see what you did there um, that's exactly what I like to do
1: yeah um I yeah I like to be able to yeah, just have more influence on the board um, one of the factions that just like takes me off to no end is the Woodland Alliance, and I like to like nice. I if I had to <laughs> ally with someone, I would a- literally ally with the cats to destroy the Woodland Alliance and to make sure their sympathy never sees the light of day, <laughs> um, ever again. Um, because I just know that if you let the Woodland Alliance get to twenty points, they they basically won the game. Like they can they have court. they can have
2: easily a ten point turn yeah, once yeah. they get high up there. Oh yeah. <laughs>
1: Um yeah so anything else um, about the the eerie I they're think also they're really, birds. they're, they're a great
2: cult. i mean a great faction i really enjoyed them i enjoy them I think as they're well they're fun when they're in, when they're in the game um i do think a weakness of theirs is that every you know all your cards on the table literally. telegraphed. Yeah. Yeah. People can read what you need to do. And, and we all know that's how I love to play my games and with you, cards. cars. Yeah, so yeah. And it, so you can see what they got to do and you can stop it. You can find ways to stop it. So that's, that's a mm-hmm. weakness. There's not a lot of like secrecy or, or moves. I mean, when you're adding your new cards, you can, um, I do think that, um, if you can find ways to even sneak out that one point every now and then for the crafting, if you don't have their um, guy who doesn't have disdain for trade, um, that can help. I mean, our last game, a crafting literally won me the game because yeah. I was going to go into turmoil. They knew it, but crafting happens before oh, yeah, that's you right. resolve your decree. And so um, I was able to win because I needed one point. Um, so if you can sneak out points every now and then from crafting, it's it's worth it even though it's one point. Um, but I think they're just a solid faction, yeah. a lot if of fun. If you don't
1: get, like, a bird card the entire game, oh, that can be a little rough. frustrating. Yeah, that's why that it's good to have rough. the otters. I was
0: about game. to say, the otters. The otters are like the glue that holds you know root together sometimes. I actually, I
1: I will say this I, my least favorite faction to, um, to like even ally against or have a relationship with is the the alliance. My second one is the otters. I really, you know, like I, as a new player, that's surprising. I never buy. You know, know, from the otters, unless it's like something. You make it very
2: difficult to play a game with the otters. If yeah. three, Listen, I'll players. buy everything you so have. I love, I love playing the otters when you're here, Matthew. Yeah, because that... for the otters, episode, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
3: it's, it's a crazy, just for a little teaser, it's essentially a faction that can sell cards.
1: They're war profiteers. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah, it's
3: fantastic. It's creative. You buy cards with your... All right, reader. any All other right. thoughts on the eerie? Yeah.
0: Love them. They're a good faction.
1: Let's hear from the Woodland Alliance. Oh, my
0: word. Be still my heart. All right, Um, give us some flavor text. If you were creating it, what would you... What's
2: the first paragraph on that back top right say? Because playing the... Woodland Alliance. Alliance. Yeah, Yeah, but that's that's not any flavor
3: text. So essentially, the Woodland Alliance is a revolution that is building up in the The underground of of the oak trees and under the moss because the Marquiti cats and the Erie dynasty... Uh, Are two warring factions, the the Montagues and the uh, Capulets, Capulets, essentially is what's going on, and we are the free folk, the Rohirrim, that uh, say (laughs) we will not subject ourselves to these evil.
2: Are are we comparing this to Lord of the Rings or Star Wars? I think this would
3: be a great retheming for Lord of the Rings. (laughs) They are
2: the Rohirrim, absolutely. (laughs) We have Isengard
3: on our left, we have Mordor on our right, and we're saying not, not today, not today, uh, Satan. they
0: They were more like the hobbits, yeah.
3: Yeah, okay, that, we'll go with the hobbits. But essentially the Woodland Alliance, the whole like thematic yeah. purpose of them is to spread a word of this great evil between these warring factions that's going on in our woods and gaining the sympathy of all the little critters to rise up against these strong, evil birds and these cats. I mean, we're the ones that are vulnerable, and so we're trying to rise up. And so at the Woodland Alliance, your whole main strategic focus is placing out sympathy. Uh, And the sympathy tokens are these little fists that are holding up in rebellion fists. Um, And the sympathy is essentially our way of interacting with the board that goes against what the other players are doing. Um, Because what the Woodland Alliance has is a special deck called supporters. You can't use them for your normal actions. Supporters decks are for spreading sympathy. So at the very beginning of the game... Uh, you don't start anywhere on the board. You don't even actually have any units on the board. All you have is a word. You have a whisper, a concept, sympathy, and you, tenet. huh? it. <laughs> yeah. You seen
2: tenet? So all I have
3: for you is a word. It's a word. <laughs> and so you place a sympathy token, the small little token. And what these tokens do is that any time an opponent moves into a clearing, I think except for the vagabond. I think is the only exception. Yes, I think the Vagabond But Because I have to have
2: warriors, and yeah. the Vagabond does not count yep.
3: as a warrior. So any other faction that moves into a clearing with my sympathy token, I gain a supporter card to my special deck on my board. So it's essentially I'm putting up a little posts on these little outposts, and whenever these big armies come in, people are starting to realize, hey, we don't like what's happening here. We're going to give you supporters. Anytime that my sympathy tokens are removed from the board, I get supporters as well from the people who do it. So what do these supporter cards do for me? They allow me to place more sympathy out on the board and potentially... (laughs) I heard you liked
1: sympathy. Sympathy.
3: And potentially cause a revolt or a revolution. Um, So how I score points is by placing out these sympathy tokens. Uh, And the more, as you place out more, the new ones you place have more points value to it. So the the first one I put out doesn't have any points, but then my second and third, fourth one will give me an additional point. My next two will give me two and then three. And then my last three that I can place out will give me four points a piece. This isn't repetitive scoring like the birds. It's as I place it. But obviously when people remove my sympathy tokens, they come back to my board covering stuff up so I can score them again. Um, but I don't have any units out on the board, just the sympathy. So the only way that I can get units onto the board is by causing a revolution. And on your turn, you can do this any number of times. But what you essentially have to have, you have to have a clearing with your sympathy token. And you have to spend two supporter cards matching that same clearing from your supporter deck. So your supporter deck is separate from your actual hand. Your hand you use for crafting, but your supporter decks are for potentially doing revolutions. When you do a revolution, uh, you remove all enemy pieces. And en root is, is a fantastic uh, when it, it comes down to definitions of what things are yep. the, the, the law of root is almost kind of like a war war gaming kind of rule book but pieces essentially means units or tokens so if you do a revolution you remove all pieces and you can actually score points for removing other people's uh buildings and tokens and such and then you place one of your three bases and so a basis is kind of like the center for operations uh, allows you to put out some units mm-hmm. onto the board and also gain what are called officers on your player board and these officers kind of run your base and that you can essentially use them for recruiting, for moving, for battling. Um, and so essentially you can't move anywhere on the board. You have no units anywhere on the board until you do a revolution, which creates a kind of a base and you have officers that you can essentially spend to do those actions. Um, and so a lot of what the Woodland Alliance is, is trying to build up, but also having people attack us trying
1: to tear down. Tearing to
3: tear us down. Because it's kind of like the saying is like if you strike me down, I'll become yeah. more powerful than you could ever imagine. Yeah, they're like the it's, martyrs. That, yeah, like, so it, it, it creates this great tension for these other factions because it's that threat. So, you know, for the cast, it's like, man, they put a token in this clearing. I have two buildings and a bunch of units. You know, if I attack it, they're gonna get cards, which allows them to do stuff. If I move into it, they're gonna get cards to do things. Yep. And you get the cards from that player. If they if they have it, if they don't have the matching clearing you can take from the deck and um, i'll
1: I'll add one thing because again, I just despise this faction, but you whenever they they physically do not have as many pieces as many warriors as everybody else but whenever you attack them um normally the attacker would get the higher value die when you're attacking the wooden alliance, when you're the attacker, you get the lower value die yeah it hurts. and that can be absolutely yeah. brutal. Yeah. and, so I, and bl- But them. to round that off,
3: I have very few actual units that could ever yeah. actually be on the board. And so it's a special ability called Guerrilla War, Guerrilla Warfare. And so I'm fighting dirty. I'm fighting in the bushes with the tactics. Yeah. And so I get the higher dice as a defender um, for it, which does help out, but it, it essentially makes it harder to root out the
0: resistance, root yeah. out the revolution. Um, and they're but, really just this constant thorn in your side. And, and Brady, yeah. I think one of the reasons Brady <laughs> hates why, them yeah. so much is because they're just... They're everywhere, they're getting your way. And and as as a large reach expansion uh, faction, you're trying to expand, you're trying to maintain control. And these woodland alliance just keep putting their sympathy in, making it so hard for you to move around the board. You're losing your cards, removing to... them. You might get a point, but you might lose a couple of warriors or have to give them more cards. And then suddenly they just drop a revolt. And then you know the yeah. one time you don't stop them, then you lose some pieces. And then they start getting this. It's just like this little mm-hmm. cancer that that's spreading around. I think that's so. I think that's so. Yeah, your absolutely. Body. But so thematic though, because if you
3: attack me or you attack my sympathy token, the word gets around. I get more supporters. Yeah. The thing is, if you don't attack my sympathy tokens, you run the risk of a revolution happening. So if you mm-hmm. allow the the Woodland Alliance to stay in one place for too long, you run the risk of Got a revolution. It immediately. Yeah, so how, so how do you do this strategically? Obviously, placing out sympathy tokens in strategic chokeholds is really good because there are certain parts on the board that are higher traffic areas or that have more access points, placing sympathy tokens into those regions that people have to pass through is obviously going to get you more supporters because people are interacting with them more. I think you do want to get a base early. And what essentially a base does is allow you to actually get actual units onto the board, yep. and those units then can do all your traditional moving, attacking. What's really cool is that you can actually sacrifice your units, actual warriors, to place a sympathy somewhere. So if you move one of your warriors somewhere... And get you around can, the
0: cost of needing more supporters to so do that.
3: Yeah, for it. But the thing is, you don't want to place all your bases out too soon because part of the... Way you inter- interact with the game is like that threat. Because yeah. if I have all my three bases out, thing is I can only do three rev- re- three revolts essentially, mm-hmm. and three I can only I can do a revolt in one fox, one mouse, and one bunny. If I do it at the beginning of the game, then you don't really care about my sympathy tokens because I have yeah. no
0: threat so, for a revolution. And I think a big component too is you are limited to ten meeples, and those meeples are not only what you put out on the board, but they are also the officers, officers. that you mentioned are limited by. And I think every time you revolt, you can send what two. Your officer, something like that. Um, Place a matching
3: base and warriors there equal to the total number of matching sympathetic clearings, and then place a warrior in the officer's box.
0: I think there's ways you can add. You can add some more to the officer, but essentially action. But if you if you do that and you put you think oh it's going to be great I'll get five actions or whatever in my officers you have no units on the board and if people aren't killing them. You have to move them away you have to find a split that doesn't have sympathy and then you need to destroy it yeah and so you can stall yourself if you're not yeah, your resources yeah. well and
3: the only way you lose officers is a base gets destroyed and so i've made that mistake where i did three revolts super early in the game but then yeah. i was almost stalled because people weren't worried about the threat yeah the were wasn't worried about that threat because i'm limited and so almost the strategy is if a woodland alliance player does do that early never attack their bases because then they can never do a revolt again.
0: Uh, yeah, Brady, you're writing that down. Never attack the Woodland Alliance player, man. Yeah, never attack them. But the thing is, the other point is, like, you're saying, it's like, man, the Woodland Alliance is a
3: pest. They're always there. They're always getting stuff. But every time you destroy one of my sympathy tokens, you're also getting a point. And so you, it's kind of a, it's a mutual kind of give and take. Like, you're gaining in-game conditions at the same time. So it isn't, like, totally bad. It's, like, one action for a victory point. That's not a bad... Uh, cost ratio yeah. there in the whole grand scheme of things. But I think they're super thematic. It always just makes me just feel so good when I place that sympathy token down and hear someone moan about it because they're like, I only have so many actions. Do I spend my action to remove it? Do I just ignore it and hope he yeah. doesn't have the right cards? That,
1: that's a good point. If if I am playing as, as the cats or the eerie and the alliances in the game, I am just praying and crossing my fingers that the alliance kind of puts their or sympathy in the other person's (laughs) territory
0: because i'm like well that's that's your mistake then for playing one of the two highest you know reach or snowbally factions right he wants to get in your way and you're predictable for him to know where you're going to need to go to get in his way too right so i can see why you have such hatred for uh
1: yeah and so it's like if you as the cats or the eerie Whichever one doesn't have to deal with the alliance is going to have sort of like this natural time. advantage. Yeah, yeah. And so they're going to just going to be able to like kind of free roam where the other one is going to be dealing with somebody the whole time. So, yeah, there's just this crazy amount of push and pull.
3: Yeah, and the question game. is, well, I think is if you're playing with like just the base game, obviously that's going to be the cats more because they start everywhere. So definitely the, yeah, well, and that's kind of a balancing thing for the cats. They, if, usually, if they, they usually
1: retreat into a, su- into a core sort of area. think cats you mean? Yeah.
3: Yeah. But starting off, I think the cats are the ones that interact with the more. So it's almost the Woodland Alliance are the initial early game balancing for
0: um, the cats. For the cats. At least in the base box. Yep.
1: Yeah.
3: But my view
1: is that if that sympathy is anywhere near me, I will do anything I can to destroy that. And I think for me, that's why I don't love playing the Woodland Alliance either, is because I think of the base game factions, they are most dependent on. Upon being at the mercy of the other players, like, well, if the other players just decide, like, let's just destroy every sympathy that comes out, there is absolutely nothing the Woodland Alliance can at, do.
3: Well, I, 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 would disagree with that because that is a ton. And of- I know, I know you're getting more,
1: but. Like, if, if the cats and the because here's eerie the thing. just decide, no, this isn't going to happen. Well, here's again. the thing. If
3: if all my sympathy... So, the rules for placing sympathy is it must be adjacent to an already placed sympathy token. So, if all my sympathy are removed, I can place my, my next one anywhere on the board I want. And the thing is, I don't. you don't have to attack it for me to get benefit. He's like, we're just going to ignore it all game. Anytime anyone yeah, moves through it, I get stuff for the it. The other thing, too, is I don't and think I get have a limit of
0: how many sympathy you can place in a turn as long as you have the supporters. As long as you have and the cards. For the first three sympathy, you're getting a net benefit. So it costs one supporter to place, but you're going to get one most likely when someone moves into the space, but you're always at least getting one when they kill it. So you can always just kind of push those out. So if a turn comes around, I mean, scoring two points a turn isn't anything substantial but yeah, yeah. as you get into maybe the two um two three pointers if you're placing out three a turn and it's in that two getting five points a turn is not a bad yeah. deal well everybody else is killing your tokens and only scoring one so yeah. um it, it is like, possible you, to stall them out but the other people aren't going to be building their own engines do you think that you way. could
1: win as the alliance without building a base the entire time because you have to have sympathy to build base
3: without building a base the it entire time well yep. the thing is that's what i'm saying well so, like if, thing is to get your extra card draw. You have So every faction has a has different things you can do to get extra cards at the end of your turn that you draw into your hand. Because one of the abilities you can do as the Wooden Alliance is what they call mobilize, which is essentially add cards from your actual yeah. main hand to your supporter decks. And you can add as many as you want in there. And that's actually a good early game strategy for fueling up your supporters. So I'm getting cards from you all, but then I can actually put my own personal cards in the supporter deck, yep. um, so getting some extra cards is helpful for that. Um, I couldn't imagine, but like that would be so counterintuitive to playing your own game if you're purposely. And thing is, the Eerie, you can't just go after me because if you if I don't have any sympathy, I can just play somewhere where you just can't reach me without your decree being messed up. And so I just don't ever see a game to where that would happen. It's
0: possible. You never know.
1: Yeah, it's possible. So I think they the Woodland Alliance just really starts gaining ground as the cats and the Eerie just start smashing together. Yeah. And then the Magmon is just... Yeah, so you
0: don't want to focus them early because if you focus them early, you're not attacking anywhere else. And
3: that is a beautiful reaching point in the game is by the time the Woodland Alliance right, Brady does get more powerful and is an actual legitimate threat, that's also the same time that the cats and the birds are having to clash because you're running out of room. Mm Mm-hmm. So it, and then, and then over in the corner doing all his diabolical stuff is probably the most um, loved, not loved, but the hotly debated vagabond <laughs> controversial ca- faction in, <laughs> in the game of Root. Uh, we all have a lot of opinions on how this faction plays, and fingers crossed some of these expansions add some more viable alternatives. Yeah. But Jacob, well, up first, are there any other kind of Thoughts on like how to interact with the Woodland Alliance? What other factions do
2: well against them? Or The Woodland Alliance, you just have to know how to read the board and tell that they're in a way better state than it looks yeah. like their pieces are at mm-hmm. because yeah. they can just pounce on you. And, if and you, before and you know it, I, they can just have this snowball swing of a turn and yeah. score a whole bunch of points. Yeah. And that's um, what can make
1: it so frustrating playing as the Eerie is people will attack you and you're like, but the Alliance is literally... I, I know they're at 25 points, they're one turn away from winning
0: yeah you know yeah. and it's like because i've had like 12 point turns uh, as oh yeah. the it's World very the very possible I, I really like the wooden lines. they're just so different from like the first two fashions we talked about and i think that's what we've all kind of discussed is one of the sweetest parts of root is that they just are playing a completely different game right they're not trying to be the the board presence out on the table they're trying to read who's going to be the stronger faction and kind of get in their way so that they can generate more resources to kind of build their engine. And I I just love how they kind of feed off of what other things are happening at the table. It requires some skill to understand where the best place is in place. If you waste a sympathy and a clearing, no one's going through or going to attack. It's useless, right? So getting them in those choke points. But Ray's right
3: too. Like if you're the woodland Alliance and at the very beginning of the game, I just place all my stuff around the eerie and just try to choke them out. And that just means the other faction that can interact with the cats is now to. handicapped. No. And then when the time comes the where I need the eerie for Brady to attack the cats, he can't you, do you
1: anything. You know who's not coming to your aid? <laughs> yeah. The eerie. But then and will Roland.
3: And so you still have to keep that in the back of your mind is like I want I to negatively impact them equally because if something gets out of whack, I can't balance it myself.
0: Yeah. You can you can make a lot of people angry with the Woodland Alliance if you feel targeted. So all right, very good. Very fun faction, very creative
2: faction. I think it's just a masterful design oh, by Cole Worley. Honestly, how you thing.
0: were uh, describing the supporters and all that, and it literally just never clicked for me. I was yeah. just like, oh, yeah, right? So like, thematic. Yeah. When, when the big baddies are coming into town, right, these little townsfolk are like raising support, and then when they try to quash the support – race. It. It's just like, oh yeah, that makes so much sense. Yeah. It's like my brain's just yeah. Like, that, that's why I love them because they just fantastic. it just makes so much sense. They are fantastic.
2: Um, Well, if the eerie uh, is likened to Sauron and uh, the cats are likened to Isengard, and therefore the woodland alliance is like the Rohirrim and slash or the hobbits. The vagabond is. Well, I think our, you got all of those wrong. Is no, no I think you, you got, got it right. Exactly said, right.
1: No, you said the eerie is like Sauron. Sauron is Isengard. No, uh, no Sauron is Mordor. Sauron is... Isaac. You call yourself a Lord, Lord of the Rings fan? Sauron oh, is Oh, Mordor. wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Oh. But I, but get out of here. Wait, I didn't call them Sauron. You called them
0: you went way off. We, we were sticking to there. Lord of the Rings now. Yeah. Come on. Um, Are you Aragorn? All right, this metaphor is going on too long.
2: <laughs> could be likened either to Gollum <laughs> or... Or a pre-fellowship Strider, uh, which oh. I prefer to think of myself as the Gollum. pre-fellowship uh, yeah, you're, but Aragorn. I think
1: you might oh, look like good My that <laughs> um
0: Whenever someone crafts that bag, my the, precious. Uh, the Vagabond is
2: a lone wolf. And in fact, Onyx Faction Board, it's called a Lone Wanderer. And um, it's specifically called a pawn. Every other piece in the game is called a warrior. Um, But it's a pawn. Therefore, a lot of the actions that take place, like we discussed, the revolt when you destroy all warriors and other pieces, um, the Vagabond's semi-unaffected. There are ways. It's hurt, but it's not destroyed. Um, The Vagabond can never be removed from the board. I'm going to read the little flavor text. It says, you wander the woods seeking to secure a place in the new society that is taking shape. You are a, a lone wolf traveling about making alliances and enemies as you see fit. And seeking to do your bidding uh, among the woodland realm, um, the vagabond. Basically, there are a number of vagabonds that you can choose from that kind of determine your strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just going. And read you only one. ever get one for the game, correct? You get one for the game. Yep. So I'm holding in my hands, I think uh, nine, but um, and I think that's with all expansions yep. thus far. Um, did did they add vagabonds in later expansions? So they in the did,
3: Underworld yeah. expansion, they yeah, add they, the vagabond extra deck, and actually each the vagabond has an individual
2: meeple yeah, for the all your meeple vagabonds. Pack fantastic! That. That's great. Um, so depending on what you want to do, you can pick your vagabond. Um, so you it, each one comes with starting items, either three or four, and the vagabond um, grows as it collects items yeah. throughout the forest. And so ways that you do that are there are ruins four ruins um, and on the board you'll see little spaces with little r and under those ruins um there are it, one item each um, a bag a sword a boot and an ha- and a hammer um, you collect these and basically the more items you collect the more abilities more actions you can take the stronger they are. Uh, the stronger yeah. they are. So that's one way you get uh, items. In other ways, by um, giving away cards, it's called lending aid, and by mm-hmm. doing that, you trade with people who have um, Well, by, by trade, it's forcibly. Right, yeah, it's forcibly. <laughs> it, it, it's the only way that the Vagabond's going to work. Yeah. You can't deny my, my trade. Um, but um, the Vagabond, um, being a lone wolf, um, has offers it some flexibility yeah um but it also it it comes with challenges too sure um and um basically what i like about the vagabond is uh, among the factions it feels the most sandboxy you can kind of make your own path sure you can do what you'd like you can travel throughout the forest you can you know and you can focus
3: on your own items to kind of customize your own kind of role-playing character
2: customize your your build and for that reason because it has literally no table presence other than one little meeple, um, it's it's an underdog, like it's and it's kind of underestimated. You aren't. Sure. Nobody says, "Oh, I'm going to make a strategy at the beginning of the game to go after." the Vagabond. Now you'll see the Vagabond building up over time and a lot of times Vagabond has to make a move and so at that point somebody will either take it personally, <coughs> Brady, or um, or uh, it just is a good strategic decision because you see that yeah. the Vagabond is getting powerful and when the Vagabond's attacked, it's brutal. I mean, if, if somebody wants to um, force an attack, then you basically have to spend your whole next turn in a clearing in order to heal.
1: The thing yeah. is, is it's brutal on both sides. It is. It is. Because you do not want to be the one who has to right. be nominated yeah. to And why to is attack that, Brady? And because why would you get so frustrated? Because you with everything else, when you attack just about every other faction, you are rewarded in some way by points. Yep. Not so with a Vagabond. If you attack a Vagabond, it's brutal because he's he can be really tough and you get no point. You get nothing out of yes. it. He has no
3: buildings, no pieces to remove. Yep. Yes. And honestly, exactly. that's my biggest
2: Hey, we'll get to that in later. Oh, Let me just explain the <laughs> faction, and then that, we'll come back to. This is our probably our most hotly personally already. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, with the as a vagabond player, you can help others as it helps you, and you can hurt others as it helps sure. you. So, um, I mentioned lending aid. Basically, there are there's a kind of a tiered structure. You can do that, and that's by being in a clearing with a person and w- with another meeple, and giving that person. Um, a card of the matching clearing. And if you do that once, you get a point. The next turn, you can do it. You can give two cards of the same. Well, don't you mm-hmm. have
3: to, like, the first time you do it, you do one, and the second time yes. has to be two? Yeah, 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 yeah. Next time has to you, be three. You actually,
2: yeah, you can actually choose to give a just to get the crafting items, but mm-hmm. you don't get the points if you don't.
3: You have to tier you to don't get points. So one, cards, then two, too. then three, yeah. and you get those yeah. points back.
2: So um, making allies, and then as you attack people, and it's specifically when you make an attack in battle, because the Vagabond can get a crossbow and just kind of. Uh, pew pew a guy not during battle and it'll just knock off a a warrior and you don't go hostile but if you um, kill an enemy warrior in battle then you they become hostile and then every warrior of theirs that you kill afterwards you get a point Mm -hmm. so there's kind of an escalating effect of both uh, allying with people and going hostile with people so you can make an ally and you be be all sorts of cards throughout the game and then you know in later turns, decide you want to attack them. They go hostile, and then you you siphon off a bunch of points off killing them. Yeah. Um, you can do that. What you you can do what you will with that. So the the vagabond adds this kind of rogue agent, renegade mm-hmm. kind of player to the game, um, and kind of makes it feel a little wild west a little bit more than the rest of the infrastructure of the game, which we'll get to that a- in a minute. But um, I think um, when it comes to the vagabond, some of its strengths are. Um, It's basically opponents tend to underestimate you. The lower the lower board presence makes for an unintimidating um, footprint. Um, People aren't eager to go after you like Brady mentioned a few minutes ago. It actually is never really fun for people to go after the Vagabond. Um, You can choose how you want to lean into your alliances or who you make hostile and making the right moves at the right times. Um, can um, land you a ton of points. Sure. and um, But if you try and do too much or you do it at the wrong time, um, if you try and lend aid when maybe you should be attacking, um, a lot of times you can stunt your own growth. And that's kind of the path of the Vagabond is just figuring out um, what's going to work for you and um, what's going to net you the most points. Now, I do think the Vagabond comes with a bunch of weaknesses and controversy. So we'll talk about controversy in a second, but I think um, with the Vagabond, one, it's just not great to play anywhere less than... I don't even like playing it under five. Like, if you have five yeah. people, I think it's good to have a Vagabond. Four makes it a little tough. Not even not even up for debate at three. Yeah, Don't play with a Vagabond at two or three. This yeah. game played two. I've never played a two-player game. You can. But, yep. um, yeah. Eries
0: versus birds. The Vagabond a has, versus,
2: uh, a, has a questing ability that I have found to be less than ideal. Um, there's one um, of the Vagabonds that you can choose. I think it's called the Adventurer. That um, can help with quests, but the adventurer starts with three instead of four items, and you have to damage an item to count as a random item for a quest. So basically, so, the quests you have to have specific items, and by items I mean swords or boots or torches or hammers or satchels or coins. There's a lot of which, different which items may be in useless the for the
0: players, but all give you different kind of actions, right? right? So it's it's not ideal to be damaging or or eliminating the ability to use yeah. that action. So
2: quests, you basically. Shuffle the quest deck. You have a personalized quest deck just for the Vagabond. You flip three out, and you can try and complete those. And it's a part of um, your daylight. It's kind of your main action phase. And you can choose to exhaust items to go on a quest and score some victory points. And I think it gets you some cards or something yep. else. As well, but you, can you can get choose. cards or victory
0: yeah, points.
3: Yeah, and the thing is, yeah. there are three different colored right. red, yellow, and orange. In uh, the first of each one that you get is worth one point. But then that second quest that you complete of the same type is now worth more points. Yeah. And so if you complete quests of the same type of suit, they exponentially become more valuable yeah. points.
2: And I think the quest system has been less than ideal for me because there's been so many times when I'm missing an item that's yeah. somehow required in all three of the quests in front of me, and I can't cycle through can't those find quests. It. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm just stuck with these three, three quests in front of me until somebody crafts it and I can trade with them, or until I find it under a ruin, there's no chance I'm getting it. Yeah. Done and this is kind of what I'm talking
1: about when it comes to like... Being sort of like the master of Yarn Destiny, like I, that would just kill me. That would kill me. Where with the Eerie, I, you know, I, that's not really an issue. I can do my own thing. I don't have to rely on other people doing something for me or just not, you know, attacking me. So, yeah.
2: Yeah. So I'll mention one more weakness before we talk about the controversy of the Vagabond. And that is if people want to um, hard focus you as a Vagabond, you legitimately just have to sit out a turn. You basically can do this action called slip into the forest where you're not in any clearing or any path and you can slip into the forest. Nobody can touch you and you have to spend a turn recovering and you can heal those items after you'll probably lose a few of them. And definitely if you lose any of your satchel and have to get rid of some of your bag, you'll lose those. Because your health
3: mechanic is obviously when you use an item, it's flipped over exhausted. But when you actually take damage, an item, regardless if it's face up or face down actually gets damaged and, Goes on to a separate part of your board right. that it's off limits to use for anything yep. until you rest, right?
2: Yep, yep, yep. Thanks for that clarification. Um So yeah, you can permanently lose items um, like that, and basically you will have to spend your whole term, and that's just not fun. It's not fun to have to spend yeah. a whole term. It's usually and it's usually forest. at the end of the game when the game is at when its, it matters most. Yeah, at its yeah.
1: peak, and you're just. Out, you're yeah. out the so, cool
3: part is that item management which you mentioned before but essentially when we've talked about like our bird song and daylight and evening phases he, with your items that you have you can either use them for actions or you can slot them to make like your refresh like the teapot or the monies to get yeah. more cards or the bag so you can hold more items so you can either use those tokens for actions or slot them to get your like yep. your overall engine a little bit better
2: yeah yep you're exactly right So, the the biggest question mark with the Vagabond, and I do, I personally, I love the Vagabond. Um, I think it's a lot of fun. Whenever there's a five-player game, I'm always jumping in, willing to play the Vagabond, and normally nobody else is jumping, chomping at the bit to do it. I feel like
1: the Vagabond is universally the least favorite (laughs) faction.
2: Have you guys feel
3: the same way? I think it's cool. Like, if you were just, like, based on what you just went over, I think it's really awesome. It's really cool and unique. Yeah, that sounds awesome. But the controversy is...
2: Does it fit the spirit of the game of Root? Yeah,
3: because it's not like I attack John's unit and just innately I get a point, but there's always some, I have a cost, but I always have something that comes back. And so I either are attacking him because I want to gain control or influence of a region, or I can actually attack one of his buildings and get a victory point. With attacking the Vagabond, there's no incentive to attack it to gain control of a region. There's no incentive to attack it for a victory point. You're only ever attacking it and spending your actions at a turn, which can be huge, to essentially prevent you from doing something more. And, and it ends up actually keeping me from doing anything. Yeah. And so. Yeah.
1: And as much player action as there is, um, there's nothing to physically trade between players. And so. You cannot get compensated by someone else. So you, I, you can't be like, Hey, if I go attack the vagabond, you have to give me coins mm-hmm. or, you know, cards or whatever. It's just so usually either
3: Verbal favors.
1: Yeah, it usually is either the leader has to attack him because you can't just have you know, the person in third there's no reason for the person in third or fourth to go attack him. So the leader either has to attack him or just simply allow the vagabond, yeah. the vagabond to win. So and so so I think
0: something you said is is and just to counterpoint some of the the comments here right um there's no trading in this game between say if I'm playing the cats and you're playing the birds you might have something that I want but I can't get it from you yeah. I think the benefit um from having the vagabond in the game doesn't come with or or why you as a player would want them in the game doesn't come from um combat getting points off of them Uh, i think the reason we always want a vagabond on the game and you can ask i think matthew's mentioned it right i'm not going to play this faction unless the vagabond's in the game because i need those ruins removed right and we didn't really talk about this in board setup but um, each clearing has either i think one two or three uh, building locations in on every map there are four uh, clearings that have one of those building locations covered by ruins and as a faction that needs to build a lot which as you have heard a lot of our factions need to build a lot those spaces are invaluable. So I think even just the four spaces can lead to a lot of extra points for other factions on the board and opens up the board a lot more. And that's really the main reason people want the Vagabond in a game, especially a higher player count because the board can get really congested. So that's one large benefit. But in theory, couldn't
3: you, let's just say we were playing in a four or five player game and no one just want to play the Vagabond. Do you think it'd be It wouldn't be unreasonable or even break
0: the game to say, hey, we're just going to remove the ruin tokens. I think it would, though. I think that's part of the the game, right? That's part of the balance of the Vagabond is they need to provide additional value to other people on the board in order to score. You can't... I don't think you can be a Vagabond and just be hostile with everybody because if you're in combat you're going to get hit so the other component is they're giving you cards right if you're the eerie player how does he dissuade you from not attacking him hey i got this bird card for you right here take it it gives me some points but it also benefits you so the value that the vagabond provides to the players at the table is never in combat right they're never scoring points off combat but over the course of the game you can expect especially if you're crafting right that forces the player to come to you and give you a card which may or may not be valuable, but cards can be turned into resources. I'm just trying to devil's advocate. I know we overall don't love the Vagabond, Vagabond, but I think don't underestimate the four extra building tiles if you're the cats or the eerie who need to make it in somewhere and build something, and the additional cards that flow through the game, specifically in the base four factions, right? They provide a little bit of that shared infrastructure that maybe the otters kind of... Overcome. So it. I
1: have I have some comments, but Jacob, you have a lot of options when it comes to the vagabond. So what are some of your go
2: tos? Yeah, I um, tend to lean towards um, the arbiter. Um, one. Is one um, that's everyone. If, if before it, if it anyway. before rolling in battle, the defender may enlist the arbiter before if he's in the battle's clearing. So you can kind of use me as a mercenary. Uh, The arbiter scores one point and adds undamaged swords to the defender's maximum rolled hits. So I can kind of be a a mercenary. I I mainly like him because he comes with two swords, and swords are your combat value. So like every other faction, it depends on how many units you have in the clearing, but it's just for the Vagabond how many swords he has unexhausted. So Actually, he's just swords on his... You could could theoretically
0: add... You could get set up to seven hits if you had four swords. Is that what it says? You can add your hit value to the, the maximum hit value... So theoretically, you could hire the arbiter and then. Well, I guess the die can only roll up to three. So well, plus right, plus right.
3: his, but you, if you had six right. units and you rolled a three plus his three, you just. I mean, yeah, yeah, It'd be
2: a lot. Um, so I like that. Um, I like the Ronin as well. I kind of like the combat heavy. I, I always plan the that one gonna, that is the most after, controversial is the well, the Tinker. Was, yeah. yeah, but um, Ronin is after rolling in battle, you may exhaust the sword to deal an extra hit. So it just it kind of lets you deal more hits. But yeah, I'll move to the Tinker because in the original deck before the Exiles and Partisans deck came out for root in one of the expansions. There are three cards, um, the favor of the either Fox, Mice, or Bunny, and these cards, there's one of each for each clearing, and these cards basically allow you to just decimate everything to nuke in, to nuke everything in the clearing, and it's not used again, mm-hmm. um, right? That I think that clearing gets like well, absolutely busted. I, I,
3: double check the tinker. I think he specifically places a torch token or oh, something sorry. down. Oh, no, sorry, you're thinking the of somebody else. That's scoundrel. That's scoundrel.
2: Yeah, the tinker allows you basically to take um, cards from the discard pile to match your clearing. So this is not who you were thinking of, but the tinker is very powerful because you can take those cards. Um, yeah, and, scoundrel is and pick the them up for yourself. The scoundrel is who you're thinking of, Matthew, and I'll read this one. This is Scorched Earth. Place this torch in your clearing. Remove all enemy pieces there. Pieces can no longer be placed in or moved into this clearing. So
3: essentially nukes and kills a region of the board, yep. which yep. would and, be huge. Which is
1: dumb because by the time you want to use that, yeah. you just want to make someone but to lose what at what that what makes point. it even worse
3: is that that includes buildings and units, and so if there are a bunch of units there, they all become hostile. Yeah, it's and so not that can be just a 10 point 12 point You, right? 10, you, 12 can, point you can drop
0: that in a, a if the say that Yuri had four warriors, uh, you know, in a roost, you can drop that and get five, or or maybe there's a lot of wood tokens and buildings and other things like that. You can drop and get a bunch yeah. of points. But, I mean, so.
3: we played a game with that. Steven, I think, was playing that one, and there was that there was the
0: rules reference around the keep because you cannot nuke the keep. Yeah, but, but like there was a region
3: where. Three buildings are there. It has like four access points. Three factions were in there. All the buildings, and he just put his little torch and blew the place up and scored 12, 15 points off of it. Yep, which is <laughs> comes crazy. back to
0: the description of well, and, and uh, people don't like this one specifically because there's nothing the vagabond needs to to build up to in order to yeah, do that. You can't stop, you stop him or take advantage. It is a one time ability, and that torch is used to do your explore actions, which means yeah. that you wouldn't be able to open any more runes following that, but. It's definitely not but a... While you were talking about
3: runes, like, using that for negotiations, like, there's never not hardly ever a game where the Vagabond, the first thing they do is go to those first four runes. I'm not, not saying
0: like, it's used for negotiation. I'm saying you have to take that into consideration with the value they bring to the game um, when yeah. you're talking about... You're not getting anything from attacking them if that's why it's controversial. They do add a lot of value outside of the combat to the other players at the table is what I was trying to yeah, get across. I,
3: yeah, I guess that really comes down to, like, uh, the way everyone else balances each other there's that kind of reciprocative kind of value get out of it. Whereas the Vagabond, it's like, yeah, you're keeping them from moving forward, but then you're also keeping yourself from moving forward. And then the other two, three players at the table can just progress. So I don't know if it's just when you play against Vagabond, you're like, you need to have like a rotation of who is keeping them in check collectively. Yeah. But then, like I said, the person in third and fourth has no incentive to do that. yeah, And so it's just a weird mix on... It, because everyone else in normal game with factions, you have an incentive to balance. You have an incentive to do that. With the Vagabond, you don't really have an incentive, especially if you're not. Because if Brady is in, is in first place and I'm 10 points, 15 points behind him and fourth, I still have an incentive to try to balance Brady because one, it keeps him from moving forward. But then I can also progress my point engine. See, that's the thing. It's like a third and fourth place in regular factions. You still want to interact with first place to balance them. Yeah. Third or fourth place does not want to touch the vagabond at all,
2: right? Yeah, yeah. And so that's maybe nice that puts
3: the pressure on the person first. But what do you do when the vagabond's in first? I don't know. Yeah.
1: So, and other than the scoundrel, which I I just think is not the most fun mechanic, um, I don't have as much of an issue with the vagabond as I do with the woodland alliance in the game, just because like the or the vagabond's more or less doing. Their own thing. They might even occasionally help you along the way. They give you cards. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, it's great. Literally, that's my only
3: criticism. (laughs) And so
1: I am just like, go do your thing and have fun. I'm going to be fighting these cats. Every
3: time I played the Vagabond, it's super cool. And I've never run into that issue, Jacob, with the quest. Uh, Maybe one house rule is at the very beginning, when you draw your three cards, you're allowed to discard one and draw a new one. Yeah, I think, I think something, like really, something like that would make it really, really easy been to two, fix. That's happened
2: two of the last three. Yeah, games but I
3: think you still vagabond. won a game even mm-hmm. with that still happening. Um, so I still think there are even that whole like loyalty and then turning people hostile mechanic is fantastic. Yeah, oh, we're and not,
1: we are not house ruling a single thing in this game. <laughs> <laughs> that is part of the vagabond. They are. Yeah, still we're, we're definitely not, yeah, we're not going to give them any buffs. You're
3: right, Brady. No yeah. buffs yeah. for the vagabond.
1: I, if, if we're making house rules, then I get to do these in any order that I want. For the eerie, yeah, for the eerie.
3: Yeah, but one thing you did mention, Jacob, and we didn't start at the top uh, of our general kind of with talking about cards, is there has been a, a 2.0 edition essentially for the cards. Um, because in the base game, um, you craft cards, you can get a, a t- an item which gives you victory points, but you can also craft abilities. Um, in the base game, they were all very generic, all very samesy. Uh, maybe increase your movement, maybe increase an attack value. They're also the favor of the mice, favor of the foxes, uh, favor of the bunnies, which was just a really overpowered kind of an ability. Essentially, I think for my memory, is like if you had control of like these, those three of those regions, you can essentially remove all enemy pieces mm-hmm. from there. And it was just super swingy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not like, and the thing is you can't like, man, my strategy is to go after that. You ha- first had to get that card randomly and then in getting those positions but things no one knows that's going on and so when that's happened it's just been really especially i mean in games where you're just really tight and everyone's playing really close and then something like that is just completely out of the spirit so they had a new uh deck it's called what exiles and partisans Exiles and Partisans, which gets rid of those super swingy stuff but what it does is it allows you to craft both base game and expansion uh factions it allows you to craft abilities that may only be unique to uh, a, a rival opponent and stuff. And so uh-huh. it's really, really cool. Like one that, um, and even stuff adj- adjacent to that. One of my favorite ones is the coffin makers. So essentially you are the person cleaning up after all the war. And if you craft this card and you slide it underneath your board, essentially every time an, an enemy unit would die in battle, they come to that card and they stack up. Yep. For every like set of so many tokens, you'll score victory points. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of really cool outside the box thinking of ways to customize. And that's a whole nother level of like, like we're not even going to go get into because it it's too broad, but crafting cards to buff your abilities or to yeah. give you flexibility. And with the new deck gives you abilities that can be similar to um, other factions. Like there's even one that gives you an ability with, like with the Eerie, that if you do like two it, actions you, in a particular order. Yeah, you
0: get to do a move and then battle, but if you don't do that in a turn... Then you have to discard the card.
3: Yeah, and so it's it's really creative uh, stuff that even makes your base factions more dynamic, and yeah. especially
0: breathes a lot of life into these four base factions. Yeah. And, and, and we didn't touch a ton on it, but I do like the card economy in the game because typically there is a juxtaposition between: Do I want to craft this for victory points? Do I want to craft uh, this other item? You know, for its maybe ancillary ability, or do I need to spend it as a resource to do actions? A lot of cards can be used to uh you know do different actions in the game i think each faction has a way to maybe interact with that but um that's a whole kind of different resource management that's above whatever faction you're playing that you have to keep uh, you know track of which i really enjoy and to
3: get more cards usually requires certain progression in your engine yeah i mean every faction is similar to kind of a little bit of engine building and if you progress far enough you get to unlock is it a base one draw at the end of your turn I think everyone can do up to an additional two or three more. And everyone
0: needs to discard down to five, unless there's something that yeah. makes
3: that. Um, and so that I think the card economy, especially with the new deck, and honestly, what I tell people is like you could it, it just ignore all the expansion content, but you just get base game. I would say even before you even played your first game, get that Exiles and Partisans deck to replace the base one with. Is just it just adds a, a lot more life into the game.
1: Yeah, it's one of that's one of the more frustrating parts about playing, at least. At the beginning playing the digital version was they coming out with x parts they had
0: um yeah we went back like one vagabond
1: was almost always the tinker and they would just like ruin the game oh yeah that's They'd true they, take that card
0: they had yeah. a, a lot more of
3: vagabond types that you could be mm. um yeah. and I don't yeah so I don't think any of us plays with that scoundrel we usually no, don't no. just in
2: just out spirit. But found some of sound pretty fun There's a too. A lot of good ones. Like there, it's um, just we depends. haven't played, even played with all of them. Uh, not, no, it's like a squirrel yeah. one. There's it one that really lets you, you
0: just move anywhere without exhausting boots. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. That's but a, like a, a her- Harrier.
2: Yeah, yeah. Five of the yeah. nine, I think I've played. So, so we
3: kind of talked about a lot of those. I mean, we all have our favorite base factions, and the thing is, in these expansion ones, they even get wilder. But um, I think what's so amazing is just in the extreme differences of these factions and even adding in more factions is there's still a lot of balance and levity to what these factions do and how they interact and that's what cole talks about so much is that every new faction is exponentially harder to build than the previous one not because of ideas but that new faction he says every possible combination of factions must be viable that's that's, that that is what he wants he doesn't want this game to be like you have to put module a with module b with module c he wants root to be a game, you pick the faction you want, you pick the board yep. you want, and you can play. And that's and one that's, thing we didn't even mention with the board is there is a double side, which is a winner map. Yep. And essentially you can have a random setup of the clearings placements. Yep.
0: And and I think one of the higher links uh expansion or the new new expansion coming is gonna really help with the pick what you want, and then the board can kind of set up to make it viable right there's the recommended reach, and it says you can play with whatever but it's going to be more enjoyable even if you're picking two lower reach factions adding in that higher ones kind of ancillary expansion but we'll get to that yeah in and
3: i know i know we mentioned in-game condition
0: uh for winning and
3: that is hitting 30 points right or dominance
0: <laughs> claiming dominance
3: I'd, Matthew. I'd, and i'm not just being facetious like i i i'm trying to think is like how in a game where four people or five people especially in a five player game where people know the game extremely well how that could ever happen you just got well, to just... have
0: to play the table right right it would have to be like the vagabond just went into the woods the eerie are going to revolt if yeah. they are going to go into turmoil if they try to get into your clearing right yeah. you it, it, it's a niche scenario i still um, like it though
3: because what it does is if you're 15 points behind you can still go yeah, after a dominance Mary, play. Yes, and sir. what's really draw cool is like Mary. when you discard cards, if you ever discard a dominance card, it gets set to the side. And so anybody if, can draw it. And for anyone could choose to draw that as the part of their end phase and put it into play. Um and what I like, it's not like an instant, oh, it's in play, I win. It's like, no, now it's a heads up. Yeah. If my condition is met at the end of a next go around, if I ever start my turn with this condition being true of me controlling these same type of regions. And I win. I did I think it adds to a great mention uh, to Coalition, it.
2: too. Um, the Vagabond can play a dominance card once, I think, he's above 10 points, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, That's for everybody, so, I
3: believe. You have to be at least 10 points. Yeah.
2: And then, um, can anybody do it, or is it just a Vagabond? The Coalition is a, specific to Vagabond. vagabond. Anybody vagabond can play it. I've never done it, so I'm asking questions. So you can, essentially, once you're above 10 points, and you, every, so or everybody has to be above 10 points? Yeah.
3: You have to be, I believe it's just the Vagabond. We'll double check it. We don't, this is not very often, this happens, but essentially you partner with the person in last place. Very yep. onk-ish. Yep. But it's, you're still playing individually, but if either one is, I'm trying to remember if it's the Vagabond wins, you win, or I think the Vagabond essentially becomes a support character. Yeah. And so you win if that, Alliance yep. that you paired know, up with, Steven
2: wins. was the Vagabond once, and he formed a coalition with Brady, who was in last place at the time. But Steven helped, you know, knock out troops to yeah, yeah. I think it's really we, cool. I and think honestly, we it ended up winning that you guys did win, yep. yeah. yeah. Honestly,
3: we don't see this much because because we have so many expansion factions, the Vagabond doesn't get played yeah. as much. And often, the Vagabond isn't in that far of a last place, too. Sure.
0: Yep, to need that,
3: but it's, it's great that there is that flexibility. But yeah, kind so. of, we talked about the in game. Condition being 30 points. And I know I've heard different people online. And then I know Brady's kind of been vocal about what are your thoughts on in-game condition and in-game trigger for me personally, I like that absolute kind of resolve tension because like, if I don't do this to influence person in first or increase my own standing, I'm not guaranteed. A, oh, they hit this. Everyone gets one more turn. It's like, you're not yep. laying with guaranteed turns. It's like every, it makes every, to me, it makes every end game turn, that much more important because we have to make sure before it gets back to that person's turn, we're doing all that stuff. Yeah. And so it requires you to be actively engaged in what's happening and not hoping you're just because what I think what would happen if you hit thirty and then everyone goes one more turn so you went furthest, you start focusing less on other people yep. and you just want to turtle up and just build and ramp up your engine where I think root forces you to have to look at each other yep. and realize I have to just be better than you. Yeah,
0: to to add on to that, I don't think the game would work at least to the same level that it does. Um Around balancing, if the hard victory point condition, uh, and we can argue about first player advantage, et cetera. I think there's there's an advantage there, but without that hard victory condition, um, the game wouldn't work as well because, like you said, there wouldn't be as much necessity to stop a player from winning. Because if you want to win, you have to make sure nobody else is getting to thirty victory points before you. And there are some people who their faction, if it was a timed, how many turns did it take to get to? you know, 30 victory points, some factions are going to be able to do it faster than others, right? Because even
3: though it looks like it's a race, when you first look at that scoreboard, it's like, oh, the first one to 30 wins. If I just score points faster than my opponents, that's not how the game works. Because if you're quote unquote doing that, then that's when the table just takes a turn on you. It's about, it's just about at the very right moment, pushing someone else down enough for you to push yourself up a little bit versus, oh, I'm just going to turtle up in this corner, hit my engine real hard and score a lot of points.
0: Agreed. What yeah, do y'all think? I We know you don't like this one, Brady.
3: Well,
1: it's not that I don't like it. I am willing like it's Root and I'm willing to give it like Root is this like this like heavy king making game. Someone's about to get to 30 points. We gotta stop him and sort of like last in line to get to that 30 points and so kind of more or less winning if everybody's playing how they should, quote unquote. Um, so I would, I prefer games that, that have less of that. Um, and I wouldn't, yeah, there may be some like balancing issues if you allow players to go past 30 points. Um,
2: but I think it would be worth a shot to see how it would work. When I'm losing, I always complain that I want it to go... One more round. ...and everybody get around. whatever Yeah. One, somebody's going to win before I get a turn again. I always complain, but, yeah. I mean, it, you know, it, I've been it, on the other and end. And the thing right. about the king-making aspect, right, obviously... I think uh, it's a hold back the leader more than just make a king. Yeah,
3: because, and obviously, human emotions come into play a with the game that, like, this is a game we try hard with to some degree like we want to be good and so human emotions can come into it like when you get frustrated or maybe you're not playing well or like someone a lot of times we do things to each other it's not intentional we're just trying to improve our state but it gets frustrated but let's say brady we were talking about playing as you're supposed to let's say i'm currently in third place right and we're all within seven or eight points of that 30 point condition on my turn there's two people in front of me right um it's not king making if I choose to attack the player in second, because maybe that player in second, the things that I can interact with him gives me more points than just hitting the person in first. Does that make sense when I say that? Because like, well, me-
1: okay. So you are very much getting into the king making discussion. So we, um, we could talk about this for another three hours. So well, I we're think- only
0: what an hour into this podcast. Two hours and eighteen minutes. Yes, sir. <laughs> so long-form content that is we'll very, for. very
3: brief. But uh, we can we can talk about this more. But that's at least my thought. Whenever I'm playing the game, it's never I my obviously my goal is to hit thirty before someone else. But when you're in that in yep. game part, me stepping on player two isn't me wanting player one to win. At least how I play it, it's player two. It's because they have the most vulnerable points for me to score quicker than if I'm just targeting only the player in first. Because if I'm just yeah, yeah. targeting the player in first, you're that not actually, your own I'm not, and if it's not the most optimal for me, I'm actually helping the player in second the most. So I, at least my thought is, as long as you're always playing for the action that is most optimal to me, I, it it's the easiest way to say, even though it may quote unquote help someone else that's not being the target of your focus, if you're doing it for your largest benefit, I mean, I don't know what you're supposed to
0: do. And I think optimal to me can also mean so, the game, two moves down so the, the game continues as well, right? So if there's someone who's clearly going to win the game, if you don't do something, your optimal move is not to just total your thumbs. It might be the yeah. the, the discussion, which is going to be on the other podcast is what if two people are in that position, what do you do? You know, then we can get into that yeah. specific discussion, but um, I definitely uh, on the same track. As because
3: you. you're right because you can't, I can't keep playing the game to try to win if it ends on the next turn. Yeah. And so sometimes it's like, I need the game to go an extra round to give myself a chance. It's not even that movement. that you're not even be anything about victory points. It may literally just be about, we need another round in the game. Yeah, and yeah. that may affect someone from winning right then. Cause if Jacob, if you're one point away, it's like, yeah, I'm 10 points away, but like, I obviously can't win if you win that next point. So I have to go after you to give myself another round. But then you're like, well, you did that now Brady wins. You King made Brady. And so it, I know it's easy to kind of get into that trap but like at least how i play and i think most of us at the end of the day we're right. trying to win the game yeah sometimes that is eh. the decision
2: i i am <laughs> always doing that i am never attacking one person just to do that however sometimes i will admit to my own ignorance and not seeing a move that could have been better sure. and that, and that happens. happens a lot and that, that happens ha- i do that like i've done that to people at this and, 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 and then the know, second that you that do
0: it brady's like what
2: are you doing like can't <laughs> yeah. you yeah because you're a five player, a player game. he's trying to
0: sound the alarm yeah. and
3: in a five play game, it can be hard to know exactly 100% what yeah. the sure, other sure, players sure. are doing. So in your striving to be optimal, you may not be reading the entire state. Exactly. And I know I've yelled that off. What are you doing? That, that you completely miss this entire other region of, of like trickle effects that are going to happen. But that's kind of the the nature of skill and replayability and learning and reading your opponents. That's the way the, the cookie yeah.
0: crumbles. The cookie crumbles. Mm. Oh, Very good. What a good game. And this was only the base game of Root. So for you listeners out Shoot. there, we have at least another four factions, plus an expansion that might come before we record that next episode. They, um, they,
3: they said that yeah, right. the first week of April it, is supposed to be shipping. And it's so possible. We'll see. That's all I'm saying. Our luck
0: is we're always the last yeah, on the usually. list. Yeah. So um, they're up in Minnesota, so I'm sure it's going to take a little while to trickle down here to the southeast. But uh, <sighs> if you have played Root and love Root and want to talk more about Root, Join us on the Discord. Oh, There's a link talk always on it. the show notes. It's been on fire recently. It's been really fun to jump in there and have some discussions. Listen, on, I think people are missing our, our
3: movie musings, Brady. Well, we might have to bring that back. I know. If you have some fanfare for that one. And maybe yeah, Brady I can did. add some novels, too. Texas that. Chainsaw
2: Massacre, right, Brady? Yeah, well, I did watch um,
1: Lord of War last night with Nicholas Cage. Oh, it's so good. Um, where he's basically just a, a moralist... He facilitates, robbed, yeah. Um,
3: facilitates third world countries with getting these weapons to destroy themselves. Yeah, wow. exactly.
1: And it and it is uh, very much like the otters. Yeah, <laughs> don't, don't care who wins, as as long as you're Battle making a the baby. Yeah, it but I will chaos. say that this is definitely not We're a game prompted.
3: for everybody. And it's a lifestyle game. It, it's it's more lifestyle than maybe some other stuff. Sure,
0: I'll it requires significantly more investment than just the rules teach. If you want to enjoy and have fun time with it, so um i think it's been a blessing to have such a great group of people um to you know play this game with i think one of the reasons why i love it even more than just the mechanics and the art and everything is just the memories that are made while you're playing this game good thing or bad um you know sometimes you leave a game sour and others you know it's uh, and i've not been on the receiving end of a lot of the negatives i've made some of the dumb moves that have hurt other people but um just overall it's just a a great game to enjoy with uh with your friends and, and you can you can you know, throw some jabs out there. You can kind of poke at other people and uh, you leave it all on the table and have none of it. You know, yeah, brute legacy so. edition. John,
2: come on! When? If you have a group of friends that you regularly play games with, I'd say buy the base game and play it. You know, everybody give each faction a try yeah. and try them multiple times so you can learn them. I think it's a game that just has endless replayability. Absolutely, and um, it's one that will you know when i uh, when you guys leave me when you guys nope, move on from me that. never um, Blood oath. i i'll teach whatever group of friends i make in the future uh, that game because i think it's just yeah. so fun yeah. and it's hard it's a it's a there's a barrier but, but it's, it's, worth well, it. it's well it's it's one of the games that's just well worth the effort it really will challenge
3: on. if you believe you're a good teacher of games it will challenge <laughs> your your preconceptions of that, your sanity. Yeah, we have an yeah.
2: episode of how board games have made us better people. One, one day, oh, that's a great yeah. idea. We have had, we did
3: have done an episode for like if you're trying to better yourself, like we've talked about like yeah. board games for educational type purposes. Love it. For it. also, Jacob, did you also mention earlier that you went and drove all the way down to South Carolina to get a cowlick shelf? Charlotte, Charlotte. yeah, North
2: Carolina. North Carolina. Oh yeah, and I didn't tell. Yeah, I was getting ready to tell John this story this morning, and then I got distracted. Um, so I was. In, there's an ikea in charlotte which is about three hours from it's the closest ikea to us they ship and these no things for sixty nine dollars are you serious ship That's shipping it's and i know that
0: because i just paid that it's insane. three weeks ago
2: and i wish we had sure. talked about that we could have just made a big on the order yeah it. anyways i went and picked up my five by five Calyx shelf all right where are you gonna Woo. put it is that uh, wall it's replacing in your... the other? It's shelf. six, it's like six by six. Okay. Six by six. My bad. So I got the big old calyx, and I am have loaded it up on the cart. It's in four boxes. It takes four boxes to land. Like, oh, are we load gonna build calyx. it Monday? That's what we're doing tomorrow? Tomorrow. Yeah, awesome. And I am we'll walking by, and I see a guy standing there talking to his wife, and he says, and it, "Basically, his shirt. He just he, he looks like a, a board gamer, and his shirt says um, it was one of those cheesy like you know a like a.'" A bad day fishing is a a great day. It's the same idea with board games. It was like, the worst day board gaming is still a better day than everything else. (laughs) I love uh, that. And so I saw He's trying to talk his wife into buying it. I just kind of gave him a a little nod of respect. He knew. He saw my Calyx, I saw his, and... We is there is there like are day.
0: there
3: secretive gang signs like if I wanted to let <laughs> someone know?
0: discussion phase
3: business cards? Yeah, instead, so, like I know somebody like if you wanted to know that I'm in the Illuminati. I would throw you up a little yeah. little eye <laughs> and stuff. Like it's our inner, it's like our inner like hand signals, so we don't have to say anything we'll public.
0: Let's make a BGG thread. It's just figure a, it out. Uh, Yeah, we make a box with our thumb. I think it's usually pretty apparent. But you're pushing up your glasses. Yeah, usually there's a
2: neck beard involved. (laughs) Oh my gosh! Yeah,
3: (laughs) so that's great. So we got some fun stuff coming down the pipeline. Uh, We're definitely going to be digging more into the expansion factions, and things will get even crazier. And obviously, there's going to be a lot of live coverage for. Uh, the new expansion uh, marauders Absolutely. when it comes out we're also still waiting for the new nemesis lockdown there's a small mini campaign we'll be here soon uh, that's with that as well five scenarios with yep, it that we're going to be it. we're going to be running through yes, that sir. as well so a lot of this exciting you know stuff down. um we'll still let you know that O sworn is going to be another two years to get here <laughs> don't worry we'll keep you updated on that fun saving so so. hey listen brady jacob shares the picture that one that one base copy of uh, Foundations of Rome takes up an entire gaming bag, the <laughs> yeah, entire board
2: game table's bag. I that love you that. Have. It's so funny. Well,
3: at first when you sent that, I was like,
2: "Hold on, does Jacob have his copy of Foundations of Rome?" No, that was put. Po- that was they posted that on their Kickstarter. Yeah, and I was like, "That just is so funny to me because that that game yeah. bag advertises holding like twenty games. They're like, just obviously, they're talking about you know small normal, box games. Normal, but, yeah. Yeah. but uh, but there was literally one Foundations of Rome box and maybe room for like." small A, box you're you going to need
3: four bags to carry <laughs> all sorts. <That's> yeah <laughs> we know yeah we played it on the dice star cruise i enjoyed it it definitely made me like when it's for like more like Chinatown like trading just like open trading oh. like even when we played um, what is the one with the cubes and stuff zero confluence zero confluence like just oh, open I trading and stuff is great is, uh just maybe something other than the space thing yeah. righty. well that's been it for this week's episode as always i'm matthew
0: i'm john i'm
3: Jacob and i'm brady and this has been the, the discussion, discussion phase Woo! Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of The Discussion Phase. If you're our content and like to hear more, make sure to tune back every week for new episodes. You can also follow us on Instagram at The Discussion Phase for new plays, reviews, and unboxing. You can also join in on the discussion yourself on this Discord link below and let us know what you think on all these topics. Thanks, everybody.
2: Brady is breaking into Namiji right now. I've been we waiting need, since 2019.
0: We need to have the Ric Flair move on, on the soundboard. I think that's going to be a necessity. Yeah, it's when
3: incredible. I get a post on the discard that, that says that someone's wife went into labor because they're hearing <laughs> that blood-curdling yell, they are not, I'm going to feel they bad. They
2: need to get familiarized themselves with WWE culture, baby. Come yes, on.
3: Brady, real quick, before we, we these, tune out, just let us know, what is two and a half years of anticipation and buildup for a game feel like?
1: Look at these. Pre-painted ships. That's pretty,
3: pretty dope. Chips. Worth every minute, day, and hour. All, All right, right, peace, peace out,